judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Those are poppers. Are those fireworks? Yes. (laughs) We're celebrating the New Year here. Yay. And there's so much to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. What are you celebrating so far? Um, I lied. There's nothing. I've been sick. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing to celebrate over here. I've been super sick, like, since New Year's, like. The ball dropped, and so did my immune system. So um, today is like one of the first days where I, my chest doesn't hurt from oh. coughing. So if you hear any coughing, sorry, I'm sick. Um, but you know who I think might have gotten me sick? It wasn't me. No, it wasn't you. But it was maybe this really cool politician that I met, AOC. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I lost my ever-loving mind. So picture it. Just me and my husband walking out of like the Costco liquor store in Queens and I see this woman and she's wearing a mask. And this just shows like how hyper aware of other people I am. It's good and it's bad because that means like if someone's being annoying, I can't stop myself from noticing their annoyance. Um, But it's good because I notice people. So I see this woman and I'm just like, she looks really familiar. She's got like a red bag. She's wearing all black. She's got straight hair, straight like long black hair. Very New York. But I'm like... She looks like AOC. So I keep smiling at her. And she's like, she's got her mask on, but like she's, her eyes, I can see she's smiling. And I was like, she looks like, she's got like AOC eyes. So we like walk past each other and I go, are, are you AOC? And she takes the mask off and I go, oh my God. Like I lost it. <laughs> I lost it. So it's just us in this parking lot. And I'm telling her about the podcast because of course I don't have business cards because they're in my wallet, in the car across the parking lot from where we are and i was like maybe i could run to it and then i was like no so i'm just telling her like i know a lot about you because i researched you for a podcast that we do and like i told her a little quick thing about it and she's like i will download it and i'm just like you oh my god not gonna remember this (laughs) you're not gonna remember this but i was like it's called big reputations and i should have been like like the taylor swift song and like sung it a little bit because i think that might have made the memory sick but anyway i just like thanked her for like everything that she's done for the city and she thanked me for thanking her for that um and then we started talking about um i don't know how we started talking about clothing choices but like i i was like oh um you had posted this video once where no i said um thank you for putting up with all the shit that people say about you like you can't even like buy a dress without someone having an opinion and she's like oh my god i know it's kind of terrible so i brought up how she once posted on her instagram and she was like in puerto rico and she was looking at this dress in the a window and it was like backless and she was like man i wish i could wear something like this and when i tell you it was maybe the best thing of the year like it was amazing like i didn't want to take up too much of her time but all i wanted to do was like ask her questions and as like i walked away i thought of all these things and i turned around and she was gone i was like she must have ran into the store to be like oh my god this girl's gonna go find her business card but i wanted to be like oh my god did you meet madonna thunderhawk at standing rock like i thought of all these questions after but she was super super sweet like i wanted to thank her for the green new deal we were just like talking about like new york city politics like real quick and i was like man I would love to like sit down and like have dinner with her and just like rant and rave about 
how shitty our mayor is and like what can be done and like how to motivate people into politics and like thank her for like how she gets people out there like she mm-hmm. gets people information like everything that's going on now in the this senate morning, like, yeah. i was watching her stories this morning about everything that went down last night and her mm-hmm. questions and answers that she does for everybody um if you all don't follow her on instagram she has the best uh insta stories to to follow and they're yeah. so informative yeah, you have to you have to hold that you have to hold that button in a, so that hold the screen down so you can read everything before mm-hmm. it times out but uh but it's like she was just laying out like how things were happening, why they were happening, why yeah. Democrats were behaving the way they were and so on. And it's, it's super informative. Um, but I love that so much because other politicians don't care if you don't know. Do you know? Like mm-hmm. she did a live. I watched it. There was like 13,000 of us in this live watching her explain how the voting was working and like what Kevin McCarthy like gave up to basically get his seat. And it was really, really informative of, like, how it all works. I didn't know any of it. Mm-hmm. And, like, she told us how, like, he, like, kind of hobbled himself by giving up all the the cabinet seats that he gave up. Like, he is a really weak leader right now, and it's going to bite him in the ass later. But, like, she's giving us all the insider information that other politicians could easily give us, and they don't. Mm-hmm. She wants us to be informed. She wants us to know what's happening. So, like... I was very excited to talk to her and like thank her for that because lots of other people don't do that. So yeah, she's one of my favorite people. I was so excited when because actually I think it was Theo who sent me the picture of you guys and I just opened it it up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. (laughs) Because I was like, I can't post it because I don't want people to know where she is and like swarm the place. So like I can't post it for a while. So I just like kept texting it to people without any reference. Just like you would just get a picture of me and AOC. And it's like, holy shit, was the response normally that I got. It was just awesome. She was really, really kind and like, like took the time to talk to me. Like, I I didn't want to take up too much of her time because like it was the day before like New Year's Eve, like in fucking Costco. But it was just it was really nice to be able to speak to her and and have her actually not just kind of like push you off. And then I was like, well, you know, she's a politician. She's not a movie star. So like. It's her job to like talk to the public about things, right? But like, but I'm not she in her actually district. does that job. Most yes, of them, she wouldn't. actually does it. Yeah, like I doubt and, Mayor Adams would let me like oh, ask him questions. Well, but I just wish I would have asked her the right ones. I really want to know about the Madonna Thunderhawk thing, and I'm so mad that I don't. <sighs> I'm sure she would have had like a little story to tell. Like, we'll tweet it really at nice. <laughs> I don't. I don't think she'll see it. She gets so. Many oh, that's things. true. That's true. Yeah, because I like I tagged her and like every time I posted it, and I was like, she'll see this, and I'm like, she's not gonna see this, but. It was an amazing, random-ass New York City moment. Like, that's how things like that happen. Like, and it just shows, like, she really is of the people. I mean, she's shopping at Costco, she's just like us. at Costco. <laughs> and I said that. I was like, what a, ra- and a random, like, Wednesday afternoon, just shopping at Costco. Like, awesome. Good for Love you. It. Good for us. Like, I, I just, I was like, you know what? I'm so sure that Mayor Adams doesn't even do his own grocery shopping, so. I don't think he knows what a grocery store is. Oh yeah, no, that's where that's where those people, um, those unskilled laborers, that's where they work. Yes, yeah. Other than other than being sick, you know, how's how's January going? Are you or has there um, been anything besides being sick? There there hasn't been anything but being sick. We're a week into the new year. I've just been watching a lot of TV. So I in our Ask Me Anything that we recorded for the Patreon, 
someone asked like what series are we watching and i was like i can't think of any series like i don't watch tv and then i got sick and i was like oh wait i watch so much tv so the things that i forgot to mention that i love and i just finished abbott elementary oh yes such a hysterical show are you watching week to week or did you just watch the first season i know that you don't usually but that's why i'm asking I'm like, no one else can see my face, but like, I, Kim doesn't watch things week to week. No. So um, I let things build up. So I watched all of whatever Hulu had, which apparently was until the last episode. Oh, okay. Because okay. it ended at like winter break. And I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Because like we're on winter break now. When they were at the um, club? Yeah. That show is hysterical. I love it so much. It's and, like, so well done. Oh, I love it. It is. And like I did that. Uh, I laughed so much that I gross coughed. It was a lot of that. Um, and Atlanta, which is a fantastic show. It's been on for like four seasons and I just finished the fourth season and it's so good and other people should watch it. It's got um, Donald Glover, who in another life is my husband. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are married. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I love him so much. But yeah, that show's fantastic. And I was like, I can't believe I forgot about core shows that I watch actively. I feel like when people ask you those questions, everything you've ever watched just goes out of your brain. So yeah, like, this year I started show? I started a note in in my phone that's like films and TV shows watch this year because like you you suggested mm. Letterbox but that's yes. primarily for film and I mostly watch TV. I think if it's a I think if it's enough episodes. So I also watched um, which I want to talk about with somebody and you haven't watched it yet. I don't think um, Friend of the Family. It no. is. It's a TV show now, which it's on Letterboxd. So I like talked with people there, but it originally started out as like a podcast that was a documentary and now is a TV show starring Anna Paquin and Colin Hanks, who is bald and it's weird because he's a bald man. And it's about this family that like a dear friend of, the, of theirs, like kidnapped their child in the seventies. And I've been following this, like I've heard every iteration of this story And it still blows my mind every time I listen to it because I don't understand how anything happened. And like in the beginning of the TV show, like the uh, the daughter who was the one who was kidnapped is like an adult now. And um, she's like, oh, you can't judge anybody too harshly. Like these were different times. And I'm like, it was 1975. And things happened that like mm, it doesn't matter what year it was. Like people were too trusting. Like. I don't know. I think yeah. you should watch it All right. so we can discuss it. If anything, if you can't watch the whole TV show, the documentary is on Netflix. The documentary is called um, Abducted in Plain Sight. Okay. And that has like the family members like saying what happened. And the it's they're called like the Brobert family. It's incredibly interesting. The TV show is a little bit like it's more scripted. But it's also not like you're like, oh, that's a crazy thing that happened. That must be something that's scripted. No, no, oh. that's just like what really happened. Like, it's insane. And I don't want to like spoil too much of it. But like, if you do watch it, we're going to talk about it. Because okay. it's, like, it's a very thin line between like victim shaming and people having personal responsibility. Gotcha. Gotcha. And like, I, it's just, like, mm, you can't victim shame. But like, also, like, you got to be smarter than that. Like, I don't care if it was the 70s. Like, you, you got to like think about your kids more. Anyway, <laughs> all that to say that is letter that's on letterbox. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Well, I mean, I do I do want to check that out for sure, but I've been using January cuz so January, I know you you've had to go back to work. <laughs> but, Actually, I haven't cuz well, cuz you were sick. sick. <laughs> I've been still working from I didn't go in the office yet. That's oh, but, Monday. But you've been you've had to like log in and do Yeah, yeah. and I like forgot how to do everything. It's been fun. 
as a professor, if I'm not teaching a winter session class, I don't have quote unquote work. Well, I don't have paid work. <laughs> mm. Well, let's put it that way. I don't have paid work in January. So I've been using January to try and like get everything done. I'm like, oh, let me make a list of like things I want to get done around the house and clean this and organize that and getting my syllabi ready and doing all. This. So my my days are pretty full with lots of things in them, but I try to give myself a few hours at the at the end of the day. And also like having to watch TV for research purposes. <laughs> I know that sounds like, well, I mean, you do it for the podcast here. Yeah. But, um, what are you watching for research purposes? Um, right now, Ugly Betty, <laughs> hmm. uh, which I didn't watch when it came out. But um, oh, I did. That I, was my I watched that week to week. I was obsessed with that show. And I, you know what? I feel like between Ugly Betty and Jane the Virgin, like the naming of or the translation of the telenovela names into English made those shows not appealing to me initially. Mm, okay. But so I did eventually watch Jane the Virgin and now I'm going back and watching Ugly Betty. But for my Latinx Visions podcast, the theme is New York Latinidad. And mm -hmm. because she is from Queens... And and I want to focus on that aspect of like it. Jackson Heights, too. I think I think they, they weren't even just like Queens as a blanket. Like they gave her like a street a neighborhood, stuff, which I and, thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny to watch it now because it's been 10 years or whatever, more than 10 years since it ended. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think I don't know math. Like looking at who's in it and being like, oh, I know her. She's the mom from love victor like the, mm -hmm. the the sister in the show and the the nephew oh, yeah the nephew oh, i like her mm -hmm. the nephew is in um with love which is a gloria calderon kellett show that's on amazon which i really enjoy mm -hmm. and the the father yeah played america ferrera's character's father in superstore as well which is kind of a fun <laughs> that is funny i've never watched superstore um, I hear that it's very good. It I'm is. It is good, a but sitcommy person. I think it's a forty-five minute show, so it's like more like a dramedy than a sitcom. Mm -hmm. Do you know Maybe. what I mean? Because it's got like a a through line instead of just episodic. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, I'll I really liked list. it, but they, I think they did their pandemic season really well. Like mm. they had everyone masked up and it was like a lot of shows you didn't want to see them living the pandemic. But I feel like because of the way they focused on these like retail workers and what they had to go with, it was telling a story that a lot of people didn't didn't recognize. It wasn't like first responders wearing masks or first responders mm -hmm. dealing with COVID. It was like, hey, retail workers are dealing with this shit too and heavily. So yeah. yeah, but I'll, I think I can manage like an hour and 40 minutes to, to watch the documentary bit anyway. And then we will discuss. Then we will discuss. But today... Today we're defining and discussing diet culture, how it has affected us and others. We'll tackle the history and origins of diet culture and how it has evolved to terrorize us in modern times. Then we'll take a look at the impact the media has on our ways of thinking about diet culture and the truth behind its hold on us as a society. To wrap up, we'll look at the damage diet culture has done to women and what we can do to avoid it. So a couple of trigger warnings uh, for eating disorder talk, fat shaming, and diet talk, of course. Yes. What is diet culture exactly? So there's a few definitions, but the most thorough one comes to us from Alexis Connison. She is a clinical psychologist and a certified eating disorder specialist. She says... 
Diet culture is a system of beliefs and rules that promote weight loss at any cost to achieve the ideal appearance. It equates being in a small, lean body as healthier with more moral and social superiority. Connison goes on to say, Diet culture stems from racist, sexist, puritanical notions that deprivation is a virtue, pleasure is sinful, and we can all lift ourselves up by our bootstraps and obtain perfect health and thinness if we just eat the right things. Uh, I'm already it's already starting we're like a minute in and I'm just like pulling my hair out groans so diet culture is a social expectation Mm -hmm. right so it's telling us how we should eat and how we should look the promise is that if our bodies look a certain way then we'll be more accepted and more favored this is really dangerous and harmful to people of all sizes sexes and ages there are so many different diets out there and they're confusing they're restrictive and they can be really overwhelming yeah randomly jumping into the latest fad diet can do more harm than good when it comes to these big topics we like to think that you know has this big topic affected us in any way so has diet culture affected you personally kim no never (laughs) never in my life um as a as a fat american in this world um no i've been on like so many diets and like at a really young age and like it started with my mom she was doing weight watchers so i did weight watchers at like the age of 10 Mm -hmm. you know calorie counting when i was 12 detoxing when i was 15 like the standards that i compare myself to like left me hating my body and fearing food for like a really long time and i was always the fat kid in school so like i learned to deal with like scrutiny and like judgment that just comes with that like it was just well that's what happens you know so it's really only within the last like 10 years that i've been like fighting against diet culture's like grip on me and being like hey you could be like sad about your body and do nothing or you could be like happy and like live your life so i'm kind of now in the camp of i'm not my body Mm -hmm. i'm a person who lives in this body but like i also have other shit to do yeah but like i can't sit around counting you know calories when I could be like having fun with my friends and like making memories. Yeah. It's interesting though that you use the word fighting, right? Mm Because I feel like that that is, it's that constant pushback against the culture. You know, I grew up with like everyone around me on diets. My mom, I remember her doing like the grapefruit diet every once in Mm -hmm. a while. And I was just like, what? Like I would read it. It was, I think it was three days that you were supposed to do it. And it just like what it laid out for you to eat during that time. I was just like, Mm. no. She was on and off Weight Watchers for, like, as long as I could remember. And there was a lot of shame around food in my house. Yeah. But I was the scrawny kid. I was the, like, in middle school and probably into high school even. Like, I was 5'7", five, 5'9", five, like I am now. But I weighed about 100 pounds. So I was accused of, like, having eating disorders because mm. I didn't look like other members of my family right? Just because of my size. And then like later on in my adult life, I did Weight Watchers for a few years. And why? (laughs) Now I think about it, right? Like, you know why? Because a lot of the women in my family, and this goes beyond my mother, like aunts and grandparents and so on, Mm -hmm. they would always tell me things like, oh, I used to be your size when I was younger. And like they said it in this way that made it seem like the weight that they were at now was some bad thing yeah. some wrong thing like, you better watch out yeah so you felt like you had to like get ahead of it yeah. by doing weight watchers yeah yeah and i get that. like i didn't i think when i went on it i went on with the goal of losing like 15 pounds which isn't mm-hmm. a lot and then i wanted to like learn how to maintain it and i'm like but you know what it's okay if i gain um, like if i'm happy and comfortable in my body 
that's what matters, not mm-hmm. what the size is or what it looks like to someone else. So, but yeah. yeah, it it definitely had a hold on me as well. Weight Watchers is hard. I remember the last time I did Weight Watchers was maybe four or five years ago. And like I started it and I was like, I'm doing so well. I have like extra points. And my husband was my, just my boyfriend at the time was like, oh, you know, let's go to this bar. Like, let's have a drink. And I was like, cool. And I ordered a margarita. And then I looked at it, like I had the app and I was like, okay, how much is a margarita? And it was like 17 points or something. And I was like, wow, that's all the points I have left for this week. (laughs) So now I feel really, really guilty about this margarita and I can't eat tomorrow. Mm. And I was so upset. And then I was like, bitch, you love margaritas. Are you going to give up margaritas? And I'm like, (laughs) no. And it was one. It was one margarita Mm -hmm. was like all my points. So I was like, so like I could never have a margarita again based on this like chart. Yeah. And I got so upset. And then I was like, I can't do this. I'm like the next day, like I didn't eat because I was like, well, I had the margarita yesterday. And I was like, that's that's a horrible thinking. And I was like, okay, never doing Weight Watchers again. Yeah. Never. Like the numbers are too... The numbers are bad. Like, it's too much pressure. The one thing I liked about it was the accountability. Like, I, I love doing yeah. things that I'm accountable to someone or so, like, I I thrive very well on that structure. Like, I won't exercise by myself. But if I have to, like, oh. meet someone to exercise, I'll do it because we're in it together. Right. Like, and but I don't need I don't need a, a corporation for that to be true. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Whoo. Yeah. This one, this one has hit us both. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's talk about like diet culture through through time. Yeah. How did people in the past deal with this nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, so let's like start from like the very beginning. Like, what is a diet? So the term diet refers to the total amount of food and drink consumed. It wasn't until the 20th century that the word evolved to specifically refer to restricted food intake to lose weight or to change one's physical appearance. That's interesting to me, too. Like, I I never realized that, like, when you think about it, like, a diet is just what you eat. What you eat, yeah. (laughs) I think some people still use use it that way, but it's so much more commonly known as like a verb Mm -hmm. like you're dieting you know yeah well before refrigeration people ate only local foods that were in season and available so diets would range depending on geographic location so to determine one's dietary needs based on some universal or global standard that's a mistake like we we shouldn't be doing that you know people Mm -hmm. who lived in nordic areas are going to eat something very different than people who live in tropical areas just because of what foods exist around them yeah So over the centuries, many fad diets have come and gone multiple times. Professor of food science and nutrition at Colorado State University, Melissa Dowick, believes that the history of dieting shows vanity outweighs common sense. And I think that that should be on a refrigerator magnet (laughs) and a pillow and everything because... Cross-stitch hanging on my wall. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Someone cross-stitched that. (gasps) I know someone who does cross-stitch merch. Let's make it merch. Cross-stitch merch. (laughs) Oh my god! Mm. I just thought of such a business idea. Uh, let's let's focus. <laughs> focus. Okay. Well, you said focus. So today we're going to focus primarily on Western diet culture. It's what we're most familiar with, and I think that the history of it has been well traced back to ancient times up until today. So let's go back to ancient Greece. The ancient Greeks were really into fitness and health. For them, a healthy body meant a healthy mind. 
But the so-called ideal body was not based on anyone's visual physique, but more on physical abilities instead. Which I think mm. is key because, you know. Yeah. I mean, even when you think about different sports and stuff in the Olympics, yeah. you can't have the someone with a, a gymnast build is not going to be doing like heavy shot weightlifting or shot put or, you know. Yeah. Like you think about like the shot put people and like sometimes you're like, that guy's got a beer belly. What's he doing? He's shot putting. Mm-hmm. Like your your muscles do other things in other places. Like exactly. you're right. Like, I like the idea of like the physical ability versus this person's really slender, so they must be healthy. Exactly. I like that idea. The Greeks knew what they were doing. Well, most of them. <laughs> Hippocrates, a Greek physician who lived around 400 BC, he believed that fat people suffered from unhealthy sleep, aches, pains, flatulence, and constipation, and recommended that they follow a strict diet increase their exercise, and vomit. Increase their vomit. Yes, increase their vomit. Is this the oath guy? I think so. <laughs> like the Hippocratic oath? I think so. <laughs> this seems like really bad advice. I mean, honestly, some of these things can be true. You know, like unhealthy sleep that we know that, that there's like... Yeah, some sleep of the- apnea is a thing. But for vomit... Like- <laughs> Dude, yeah. No, I mean, we we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. We were like, do you know what's in stomach acid? Like, it's really bad. Like, it shouldn't be in your mouth. Like, never encourage vomiting. Like, stomach acid needs to stay in the stomach. It messes up your teeth. Like, I wonder what his teeth looked like. Like, they were all about physique, but like, what were dentists like back then? Were they just like, oh my God, everyone please stop vomiting. The stomach acid is bad for you. <laughs> Did they even have dentists then? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I have no clue. Um, anyway, that seems like really bad advice from the Hippocratic Oath guy. So in the early centuries after Christ, many Christians believed that the body was the enemy of the soul mm. and many saints starved themselves to be more holy. From that, they suffered hallucinations as a result, which is <laughs> kind of funny because they probably thought that they were getting closer to God because they probably saw angels and stuff. <laughs> but really, they were just they were hungry. hallucinating. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, oh, man, I'm so holy and God gave me a vision. But really, it's like, can I have a sandwich? (laughs) In the 11th century, William the Conqueror went on a liquid diet consisting of mostly alcohol. This guy is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, I I like him, though, because like I did the same thing in college, but it was like freshman year. (laughs) We just called it freshman year. Just like straight alcohol. So his weight had prevented him from being able to mount his horse. Same. Um... (laughs) All those horses you're mounting on. Listen, what you do in your own time. Why do you have to make it sound dirty? What if I'm just like a horse girl and you don't know? Okay, fair enough. I'm so sorry. So, so sorry. I could just be an equestrian. Mm -hmm. Go Um, on. Anyway, get your mind out of the gutter and into William the Conqueror's dieting plan. So in an epic example of male fragility, when he fell off his horse and landed head first, he pretended to kiss the ground with joy. When he was able to mount his horse again, the saddle horn caught in his stomach and he died from the infection. <laughs> so William the Conqueror? Like, how is he the Conqueror? What the hell? The Conqueror of bad luck, I guess. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, he lost enough weight to mount his horse gracefully, but not gracefully enough not to stab himself get infected and die yeah but he was skinny though so (sighs) goals i don't know no definitely not (laughs) (laughs) well this next one is really gross um so heads up really gross saint catherine of siena 
refused to eat when her parents wanted her to marry her sister's widow. And, like, she did this in order to avoid having to marry this guy. She would only eat communion wafers, and here is, here's the gross part. She would lick the pus from the sores of the poor. <laughs> she got so sick she couldn't even swallow water, and she died of starvation in 1380. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Did she lick the pus to be like, I'm going to get sick, and then I can't marry this guy? I don't know. <laughs> Or was she like nutrition? This la, la, la. looks like it has yeah nutrition. Like I have so many questions, Catherine. Like how bad was this guy? Yeah. Well, I mean, if the sister was dead, maybe he killed her. Who knows? What a way to go, though. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'd rather be murdered pus? than lick pus off of also, people. Who are these who, people who are letting her? Who are these people? <laughs> they're just like, um, I'm sorry, Catherine. Could you could you not do that? Could you could you please? And they're just like, oh my god, she's back. She's gonna lick our pus again. What do we do? This is so awkward. Like, what even is this? Oh my gosh, people don't do this. Don't lick pus. I mean, what a diet. Communion wafers and pus. What if, like, Kim Kardashian came out and was like, guys. See, I found the perfect way to lose 30 pounds in one week. That's the shit we worry about, you know? Especially with all these, like, anti-medication people out there. There's just pus all throughout the streets. It's a natural, natural uh, diet. All right. Let's let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to the 16th century. This is where we get our first known diet book in Western culture. It came out in 1558 and was called The Art of Living Long. And it was written by the Italian writer Luigi Conero. Apparently, it's still in print today. Conero's advice, limit yourself to 12 ounces of food and 14 ounces of wine each day. So the rumor is that he lived to be 102 years old, um, earning his dietary approach the nickname The Immortality Diet. (laughs) I could get behind this one, I think. I don't know. I don't know what 12 ounces of food actually looks like. What would that entail? How many ounces of food do I eat at each meal? (laughs) I'm Googling. So 12 ounces of dry pasta, such as penne, equals to six cups of cooked pasta. I don't know if that helps me, but I'll eat all that pasta. I also don't know why I searched pasta me because he was Italian. I was just like, how many cups of pasta is that? Also, that's a good visual. visual yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. 12 ounces of dry pasta. That's, I mean, I couldn't eat six cups of pasta. In a whole a day? Lot. Like if I spread it out In throughout a whole the day, day, I could. Yes. Okay. Then, So again, I stand by it. <laughs> this guy's diet doesn't sound terrible. Pasta for breakfast, pasta for lunch, pasta for dinner. And you have like a wine pairing with each. <laughs> This sounds this sounds like the way to go. Honestly. Yeah, I would not recommend this though. Do not take diet advice from us. Oh no. <laughs> we should have said that at the top. We don't recommend any of these diets. But, but <laughs> I might try this one. I just got some pasta maker attachments for Christmas. There you go. So there you go. Catch me with the immortality diet. All right, now jumping up to the 17th century. In 1614, a book entitled The Fruits, Herbs, and Vegetables by another Italian writer, Giacomo Gastelvetro, heavily criticized the sugary and meaty diet of the British. I mean, probably wasn't wrong there. This book became the source material for today's Mediterranean diet and is also still in print today. Mm -hmm. It's so... Dear listeners, I don't know if you guys remember, but Rebecca and I met at Barnes & Noble. I remember all these books because every January 1st, 
we had to put up the new new me new year new me diet table and i was always in charge of new tables so it wasn't just like they made the fat girl do the diet table but like i was in charge of like new tables yeah yeah and i had to like find these books and i was just like ugh. and i remember like the covers on all of these like this one mediterranean diet was like a thick ass mm-hmm. book and had like a kind of sparkly blue oh yeah cover giving you and that, that was mediterranean pretty... sea vibe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was a pretty big seller people really did like that one so let's skip a little bit further forward into the 18th century and did you know that swamps make you fat oh really yes i mean well like look at Shrek. <laughs> According to Thomas Short, they do make you fat living by a swamp. In 1727, he observed that overweight people lived near swamps and suggested that they should move to the desert as a way to become slim. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a bit of real estate advice and diet advice. <laughs> it's a twofer. I got it. Yeah. But did he want them to walk there to like burn the calories? Like maybe that's I don't how that. maybe that's how it works. Or you yeah. know, you like, just what? dehydrated when you live in the desert, so. Yeah. I guess there's also less food to eat than there would be in a swamp. So, yeah, you can't really grow anything. And I don't I don't know what you're growing in a swamp either. But I don't know. I, I've never lived in either of those no. geographic locations. So there's so many waffles in that swamp. <laughs> swamp waffles? <laughs> in Shrek, he makes donkey makes waffles. Well, I only saw like the first one, maybe two. So <laughs> Me too. Okay, I so, don't remember. But I know like there's a thing where he was like, and tomorrow, I'm making waffles. Oh, yeah, that does sound familiar. In 1730, The Natural Method of Curing the Diseases of the Body was published. This book describes the struggles of the author, Dr. George Chine, who shares his diet of milk and vegetables. He states that after he went back to, quote-unquote, normal foods, he gained the weight back. This inspired him to a lifelong vegetarianism. I mean, yeah, when you go from a restrictive diet to an eat-anything-you-want diet, you're going to gain the weight. Like, that's the problem yeah. with these fad diets. Diets, yeah. So I, I like the, uh, and we'll, we'll get to it, but the lifelong is kind of what needs to happen to, like, maintain things. And, like, these things aren't maintainable. You right. Know? Like, I mean, vegetarianism is, like, uh, and nowadays, like, it's really easy to, like, get good vegetarian and, stuff, and, so. and Again, this is also about geographic location. Like in India, they've yes. also for long centuries and centuries had vegetarian diets mm-hmm. because they had the foods available to them to do that. If you go up to mm-hmm. like, I don't know, Greenland or something, <laughs> like, or again, going back to these Nordic countries where you can't really grow a lot of produce. Yeah. They're like, you want fish? Exactly. You got fish. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So in the 19th century, this is when we started to get the idea of so-called ideal body types. This gained popularity in the mid-1800s, and beauty was starting to be determined based on visuals of an individual's body. William Bantain published a letter on corpulence. He professed that by replacing bread, sugar, and potatoes with meat, fish, and vegetables was the way to go for those looking for a more athletic-looking shape. Okay, okay. Pear. I mean, I like all those things. Like, if I guess if I had to choose, yep. I would eat meat, fish, and vegetables over bread, sugar, and potatoes. I don't know. I like bread and potatoes a lot. I, I also like sugar. I like all the things. Moderation. We'll get to it. Yes. You don't have to choose, and that's what the whole point is. So, you ever heard of this guy named Lord Byron? Yes and no. Yeah, right? Like, his name sounds familiar. Exactly. Exactly. Same. <laughs> Well, when I was doing the this part of the research, you know, first of all, 
he was considered the most beautiful man in the world during the Victorian era. Mm, I will be the judge of that. Let me Google him. I don't find him very attractive at all. But again, I'm not from the Victorian era, so... (laughs) He's got angles. He's got angles. He's got angles. He's not unattractive. No, like... Like, you could see how of that time period... Yes. Well, you want to know his secret? What was his secret? Starving himself and then binge eating. Mm. We all know that's healthy. Not. That's super, super healthy. Oh, and he would also try to sweat off any gained weight by wearing lots of layers and with his clothing. Like, he would wear layers and layers of clothing and just be like, I'm going to sweat it out. That's gross. Uh Uh-huh. Like, just getting bigger and I'm just picturing him in, like, a bunch of, like, old Bill Cosby sweaters (laughs) just, like, over on top of each other. (laughs) He must have smelled so gross. Well, you you wonder if he smelled gross because um, he was also known as the inventor of the vinegar diet. So remnants of this diet can be seen today in those who consume a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar before eating. Remember um, Barbara from Barnes and Noble? She was an a- she yes. was an apple cider vinegar person. She was. I did it once, and I was like, mm, no. I've done it when I'm trying to fight off. A sickness i will mix it like with um honey and water i cut it with a lot of water <laughs> and then i hold my nose and i'll take it down but it it is i i've used it for like immunity purposes in the past so he was just like sweaty and smelled like vinegar. yeah yeah basically he would drink vinegar with water and he would eat potatoes that were soaked in vinegar and this diet became extremely popular like There are even records of women in the 1800s dying because they were drinking pints. Yes, pints of vinegar. What does that do to like your pH balance? Like that's got to mess you up, right? Like how much acid reflux did they have like like ulcers and all that? No, thank you. I would like to formally withdraw my uh, smash (laughs) and return it to a pass on this guy. Now knowing more information, (laughs) the smelly vinegar guy. Who has got angles is not worth it. Right. So another physical ideal that people tried to imitate was that of Empress Elizabeth of Austria. Basically, she engaged in physical activities like hikes, gymnastics, etc. And combined it with starving herself and inducing vomiting to keep her weight Stop down. Stop vomiting, people. So like, <laughs> Stop vomiting. Slightly off topic, there is a movie coming out about her this year called The Corsage. It looks really, really good. Uh, I think it comes out in like January. I wonder if it'll address... Um, I- Right? I wonder if they're going to be like, oh, this is her vomit bucket. <laughs> gross. So gross. Like that, I mean, it sounds like she was just polemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how she had the energy to do like the hiking and the gymnastics with all the bulimia that she had as well. But I'm not a doctor. No. It was also in this century that we get the the first taste of the low-carb diet. In 1825, The Physiology of Taste or Meditations on the Transcendental Gastronomy was published. The diet encouraged avoiding bread, flour-based foods, and sugary and starchy foods. This served as a blueprint for many 20th century diets, including the paleo diet, keto, Atkins, and caveman diets. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like things that we've seen before, but this is the the first time they're kind of labeling it in this way of low carb, right? Because I mean, we Mm -hmm. we had the guy before who was like, oh, yeah, the letter on corpulence guy, William Banting, right? Yeah. What about graham crackers? Do you like graham crackers? I love graham crackers. Are you going to ruin it for me? Well, I hope not, but maybe. Let's see. Oh, jeez. In 1830, Sylvester Graham, inventor of the graham cracker. I I don't know. I feel like here is where you'd be like, um, 
my father, the inventor of the graham cracker. (laughs) (laughs) He's not going to be happy to hear this. (laughs) Well, he wrote that fat is not only bad for your health, but it makes you morally corrupt and sexually promiscuous. Oh, I mean. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with those things, but. (laughs) No. Um, He actually led health retreats that preached vegetarianism, and he asked people to stay away from tea, coffee, tobacco, and alcohol. I mean, sir, all of those things pair really well with your crackers, (laughs) like including the moral corruption and the sexual promiscuity. Like, I think I think you might have ruined these. I mean, his he's not getting money. He's dead. He's not getting money from my cracker (laughs) buying. But I actually haven't bought graham crackers in a minute. But now I'm going to think of him every time I enjoy one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? I mean, I don't know. Was he Mormon? I don't know. I'd be interested. Like the, the tea, coffee, tobacco, alcohol thing. Well, caffeine is, is a drug, weird. right? Yeah. So that's off topic, on topic. My husband has been on Mormon TikTok. I don't know how he got there. <laughs> but okay. um, they have a thing in Utah where they don't have like coffee shops anywhere. Like it's just like not a thing. But... They have soda places, like lots of soda pop places, and they have weird sodas that you can like mix in. Like you could, there was like a menu, and there was one soda that was, um, it was Coca Cola and Pepsi with like strawberry sauce in it. And I was like, that's, that's weird and gross, but there were all these weird takes. And then this one girl was like, oh, we don't have coffee here in Utah. But, like, this is how I make my coffee. And she got a big gulp, basically, with Coca-Cola. She put a syrup of coconut. And then she put two pumps of caramel dairy mix. And it looked like coffee. And she's like, and now I have my coffee. And I was like, what do you care about coffee? If you've never had coffee, why do you need to look like you're holding coffee? But really, you're drinking soda with milk in it <laughs> like what is That's going on in Utah? i've seen that recently like pepsi with milk in it right i don't yes there's some like Lindsay lohan i don't even know i'm out that it was pepsi with yeah it was pepsi with i the mormons are trying to convert us all i guess um it just seems stupid and dumb and i don't know why like because doesn't soda have caffeine in it i don't get coke it does, i don't know what's going sure. on over there I don't know, maybe it's like a caffeine-free caffeine version of Coke that they're drinking. I don't know. But, but nothing has made me so irrationally angry. Like, because I'm a big coffee person. So it was just like, don't. I'm not, but I'm not trying to my face and tell me coffee. it's coffee. <laughs> Thank you. Like, you don't get to be like, oh, we don't do coffee here. But here, this looks like coffee now. Like, lots of things that are brown look like coffee. But shut up. And <laughs> it was so, I got so annoyed. And I was like, why am I? I don't live here. D- drink what you want. Like, I-, I just got so mad about it. And then, like, made myself a cup of coffee. I think it's this thing about people trying anything to, like, have a substitution right like that's it's frustrating like if if you can't if you're not going to do the real thing like what i don't know people will try anything for who's this for for your other friend who knows you can't have coffee to be like oh my god i think deborah might have a coffee she's such a rebel what shut up deborah (laughs) drink your soda i don't know I was trying to give that you a segue, but you kept going. So. <laughs> I kept going. I kept going. Now I'm trying to like apologize to the Mormons. Like ugh, you have family game nights and those are really cool. I mean, that family in the, in, in the documentary I told you to listen to is Mormon. So I don't want it to make it sound like I think Mormons are stupid because I don't. Just this coffee but thing. But this girl with the coffee. Just the coffee thing. Is, it seems dumb yeah, to like, me. It seems really dumb. Yeah. I don't know. 
So people try things to fit in, but people also try like all sorts of weird things to lose weight. So for powders to corsets to creams, laxative pills, synthetic hormones, even thyroid extracts. Yeah. I, I think it's like with a needle. I don't know like, if it's like extractions or uh, yeah. Anyway, don't, don't do like it. it. And especially now that in 1833, when all this was happening, like I don't trust some people with needles now. Like I don't trust anybody, especially somebody named Dr. Gustav Sander. <laughs> all right, sir. So he invented a belt style fat massager. So it would wrap around someone's body and it would uh, jiggle the fat oh, away. Oh, yeah. That, that's a thing that, that works for sure. Yeah. So it was said to cure gout, arthritis, nervous exhaustion, and ladies' ailments, you know, like period <laughs> pains. But we can't call them that in 1833. Honestly, I think we should take it back. I think we should start calling things ladies' ailments. <laughs> Do you have cramps? No, I have a ladies' ailment. <laughs> And I will be taking the day. Thank I'll you. I'll be taking the day for my lady's ailment. Honestly, I don't think that any dude at my job would be like, what? They would just be like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> In 1856, Dr. A.W. Moore was one of the first to be credited with creating a diet guide or like a diary in which individuals would write down what they ate for every meal and record their weight. So that was a thing. Speaking of nervous exhaustion. Writing down your food makes you nervous and exhausted. Yeah. yeah it's stressful, right? It's like a burn book for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sit there and judge every grape and Twizzler. Mean Girls reference no, number two. Yes. And in 1899, the very end of the 19th century, we have our first successful tummy tuck that took place at Johns Hopkins University where they removed 15 pounds of fat from a patient. Could you imagine going under the knife in 1899? Well, it's probably rusty. For 15 pounds? I, I guess you got to start somewhere, but like the risk. Yeah, but I mean, they weren't thinking the risk the versus reward because they didn't have the future to look to like you know if you go into the year True. 2100 they're gonna be like can you imagine doing this in the year 2000 <laughs> i fair fair because there are certain things that i'm like we used to print out directions <laughs> like that doesn't make sense <laughs> to me right but like they were probably like we're on the cutting edge we hope this person lose 15 mm -hmm. pounds amazing yeah. all right let's let's move on to the 20th century so in the 20th century, we get something called Fletcherism. This early diet involved people chewing each bite of food at least 32 times or until it became like liquefied, then spitting out whatever was left in your mouth. So people like John D. Rockefeller, John Kellogg, that's the, the cereal guy. That's the cereal yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he even participated in this one. So people held munching parties, which <laughs> that sounds way dirtier I mean, than it is. <laughs> It sounds, it sounded way more fun in my head than it actually is. It's just, it's people standing around chewing, like, look, that's not my why? idea of a munching why? party. Well, why? Fletcher himself, oh, he named the diet after himself. Gross. Anyway, so Fletcher himself lost 40 pounds with this technique. He was so proud of the fact that he only pooped twice a month. <laughs> Like, I, I mean, no, you should. I, I mean, I know it varies. I think I looked this up or we, we were looking it up to decide like what was healthy. But it's like a few times a day to like every like maybe a few times. If you, if you should probably every other day at the least at the least. <laughs> so I once tell you a little bit about about me, TMI. I had to once Google what is a normal, a healthy amount to poop. And the Internet says that there is not 
it's different for everybody. But two is not two healthy. a month is not healthy. <laughs> two times a month is not healthy. No, but like diet culture has such a grip on me that I'm like, yeah, this sounds unpleasant. But this is not the worst diet that I've heard. Like, well, it's not the worst, but it's eat- not. <laughs> yeah, you're you're eating some nutrition, and I'm just thinking about for like all the things with lactose that I can't have. But I'm like, yeah, but if you were chewing it into liquid, you'd probably only be consuming the lactose and not the good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's double-edged sword of the uh, Fletcherism diet. Well, how about this one? The the tapeworm diet. Apparently, people in the early 20th century would swallow tapeworms or take tapeworm pills. And then the tapeworm would live in your stomach or your intestines, whatever, and consume some of your food. I feel like there were lots of urban legends about this. Like a woman goes to Mexico and gets like a diet pill and then like... Yeah, well, there were actually vintage ads professing the sale of these worms, but there is no evidence that they actually were sold. But I don't know. People are wild and that people are going to people. People are going to people. So after World War One, bathroom scales were introduced. So that was yeah. fun. Uh, there was also a rise in vitamins, gums, extracts, pills, and other diet drugs that were marketed to women. Magazines such as Ladies Home Journal, The Saturday Evening Post, and others had all these weight loss ads in them. Some of them were for soaps, body brushes, and others used electric currents. None of them worked. Uh, Some of these products were actually dangerous and contained things like iodine, arsenic, and other poisons. So there were pills made with dinotrifenol, which is now known as a carcinogen. So that's cool. Um, They were sold Mm. to speed up metabolic rates. But, you know, they also caused blindness or, you know, some people even died from it. So cool. But were they at their goal? Uh, Yeah, but they were dead. (laughs) I mean, don't do this one, folks. Risk. (laughs) No, no risk, no reward. I'm being so sarcastic, people. I mean, I think you guys, you guys get me. You guys know me by now. You get me. You know me. <laughs> Some male medical professionals would speak up about uh, against these diet cures, right? Because they were concerned that women would not be able to conceive, right? If women diet, mm-hmm. then they can't make babies for us. Or, you know, because as a Dr. Morris Fishbein said in 1929, quote, they threaten male and female norms, encouraging the rise of lesbianism. <laughs> How? I, like, I, <laughs> all the women will get really thin and realize that other women are hot? I don't know. Maybe these diet cures also included exercise and women who are exercising or doing sports were lesbians. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> oh, you know what? Yeah, like, if you're too... Because you're supposed to be, like, dainty, mm-hmm. right? And, like, sew and work on your needlepoint. But if you're out there jogging you're too manly you're a lesbian lesbian. Mm -hmm. yeah obviously weird so in 1941 stanley burroughs created the master cleanse or the lemonade diet to eliminate cravings for junk food and alcohol this and other cleaner type liquid diets were thought to rid the body of toxins it calls for people to mix lemon or lime juice mix it with maple syrup water and cayenne pepper six times a day for 10 days lovely lovely Mm, the the heartburn. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm I thinking. Like, yeah. So interest, interestingly enough, Beyonce brought this back in 2006, stating that she lost 20 pounds in two weeks. And I do like that it's called the Lemonade Diet, even though I don't think the Lemonade album Lemonade album came out until like many years yeah, later. Yeah, but that is a funny coincidence, funny. right? But that is a very funny coincidence. And that's the thing is like people like influencers like Beyonce, who you know she's an mm-hmm. amazing amazing artist 
in and of herself, but she is also an influencer by by default. Mm-hmm. Like when they start promoting these types of like quick fix diets, it, yeah. it can be dangerous. Yeah, and I think it's. I mean, we'll 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 get on that. Yeah, topic of I know. I'm sorry. Later, I, but just, I think it's. <laughs> no, you're fine. I think it's important to know that, like, yeah, Beyonce did this in two weeks, but what else did she yeah. do? Did she have a personal? What trainer? happened in week did three? Did she have like a chef? Yeah, right. What happened in week three? So in 1942, the first age and weight tables showing the so-called ideal weights for men and women were created. Lovely. And in 1948, a support group in Milwaukee, Wisconsin was created. It was called TOPS, or Take Off Pounds Sensibly. For this plan, there was no actual diet plan, but instead the group discussed their struggles and weighed themselves. They're still around today if if you're looking to join. But I, I, I do I do like this because it's more just like, you know what? Yeah. Let's let's talk it out. Let's commiserate. I don't know about the weighing themselves part, but like a, an emotional support group. I, I can get behind that. Yeah, no, I, I can too. It, it feels like a let's just sit and talk about diet culture. Maybe it's like this episode. Right? Yeah. Um, so Byron's diet made a comeback in the 1950s as the apple cider vinegar diet. This called for people to drink equal parts honey and vinegar to cut food cravings and fat. Like I've done this. Uh, it makes you really nauseous, which then makes you not want to yeah. eat. So it works, but like at what cost? Whenever I've done the, the vinegar thing for health purposes, like for immunity or whatever, I always cut it with water and I always feel like I have to have something in my stomach first because the acid, it just, yeah, the too acid, much. Yeah. I, this is, this podcast episode is just <laughs> about acid. It's horrible. And I think people underestimate acid. So like pouring apple cider vinegar into your stomach acid. It's a lot of acid. Yeah. Like they're going to fight. Yeah. They're going to fight. And then you're nauseous and you're like, oh, I couldn't eat anything. And it's like, no, you can't because you mm-hmm, feel like you're mm-hmm. going to be sick. Which is, I mean, just eat. I, f- I would rather feel full than feel yes. like I'm going to throw up. Well, in the 1950s, the church gets involved again, right? And celebrities. Um, there was a preacher named Charles Shedd. I don't know, a little ironic there. Shed the pounds. Shed the weight. I don't know. Mm. Charles Shedd. Anyway, he wrote a book called Pray Your Weight Away. And then there was a woman named Deborah Pierce. She wrote one called I Prayed Myself Slim. Okay, lady. I love Sure that. you did. There's like a, a some, it's on HBO and it's a diet church. A diet church. Oh, lovely. Yes. And this woman, her hair is like huge. Um, The way down. One evangelical church preaches dieting is the way to salvation. And, but that goes back to the early century stuff that we were talking about, right? Like, that's yeah. N- what's old is new again? Mm-hmm. So the, the series follows Gwen Shamblin. She's an evangelical preacher. I remember watching part of it. I didn't watch all of it, but she's also like stealing people's money. Of but she's she got like, crazy <laughs> hair. Like her hair is like teased. And I wondered if it was like the hair, like, the higher your hair is, the closer to God. Do you remember <laughs> people used to do that? And I was like, I wonder if that's what she's doing, but she's also like incredibly thin. And like they would like fat shame people at the church. It was, it was a whole <sighs> thing. If you're looking to watch this on okay. HBO Max, uh, maybe I'll finish watching it and we can talk about it next episode. So around this time, um, the celebrities that you mentioned, Elvis Presley, allegedly, allegedly had his own technique. It was rumored that he would take all these sleeping pills that would make him so sleepy that he would miss meals. <laughs> I mean, you just sleep, you just sleep all day. through breakfast and lunch and then wake up for dinner and 
do it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound very productive. No. But no. Well, this is also when we start seeing heavy advertising for weight loss and diet cures on television. Fitness experts started appearing on TV. There were liquid shakes like Metrical and other meal replacement products. All these things started appearing on TV. This is also when we start to see the rise of low-fat, there's air quotes, low-fat versions of dairy processed products, as well as substitutions for artificial sweeteners like saccharin and later aspartame instead of sugar. However, many of these low-fat products contain starches and sugars to replace the original fat in them, which means they have fewer calories than the original products, but more carbohydrates. So it's like you're losing, but you're gaining. Yeah. Yeah. The more we process food, the more we damage food. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm honestly, yeah. I was around this time too that there was a very, very sad thing that happened. Butter stopped being a food group in 1956. You mean the saddest year for America? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Butter was a food group. That in and of itself is wild, right? You know, right? instead, at this time, they divided the foods into the four food groups. And I think that's kind of the base for what we know today. Things have kind of shifted and the pyramid. It went to the pyramid and then it went to the plate and yeah. all this and that. But I think that butter is still a food group in France. I mean, they cook everything in butter. I mean, it's it's delicious. They cook a lot of things in butter. But I do wonder if like people were just like, I think I'll have a slice of butter. Or do they mean like people cooked things in butter and it was cooked so much in it that it became maybe a food both? Group. Like I, I don't know. Maybe both. I want to go back Why and ask somebody both? from the 1956s. Yeah. But this is when we get the the four food groups, right? So we get fruit and veggies. Mm -hmm. We get milk and dairy, which I don't know to me is the same thing. But eggs always get lumped in with dairy, which is weird to me. But there you go. Meat and breads. So not to talk about my lactose intolerance again, but I once dated this guy. He was like, how can you have eggs? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, how can you have eggs if you're lactose intolerant, if you're like bad with dairy? And I was like, because eggs, eggs are eggs. <laughs> and it was it was me and him in the grocery store just like, what do you mean? And with me, what do you mean? And I was like, eggs aren't dairy. And he was like, yeah, they are. And me being like, because I'm so easily swayed, are eggs dairy? <laughs> I eat a lot of eggs and I've never gotten sick. Just like not understanding and then just being like, I'm pretty sure eggs aren't dairy, but we, it wasn't like Googleable at the time. Like our phones didn't do that. And it was just like, I, don't, I think we can't date anymore. And we didn't. Wise um, decision. <laughs> wise decision. Because eggs are And also Theo. Dairy, but they do, I guess because they get we like lumps. Theo. <laughs> yeah. He likes eggs. He doesn't think that That's they're good. dairy. But yeah, in, in terms of food groups, they were lumped together in that category. Mm -hmm. who knew this guy was so like on the food group <laughs> pyramid weird um so in the 1960s we get overeat is anonymous which was created to mimic the system of recovery used by alcoholics anonymous and also weight watchers were mm -hmm. created um in 1972 we get the atkins diet or dr atkins diet revolution i feel like that should have like flares behind it Dr. Atkins Diet Revolution. <laughs> well, instead of short-term low-carb diets that we'd had in the past, this one was marketed as something that you could do for life. So he called for cutting out fruits, starchy veggies, grains, and desserts, and instead eating meats, fats, nuts, and leafy greens. So people would do things like, I don't know, eat fried eggs with sour cream for breakfast, or like have five hamburgers with no buns for lunch. 
Like, mm. I mean, this fits under his diet rules, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't like sour cream. I think sour cream is... It's an abomination. Nothing. It doesn't taste like anything and people slather it on stuff. Yeah. So gross. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't do sour cream. Um, but Atkins mm. Diet Empire also ma- manufactured weight loss foods. So, you know, capitalism, profit, all that good stuff. Rob Lowe, a.k.a. Chris Trainer does this one like he's been doing atkins for decades and he does like ads and stuff for it and i guess like it works if you commit to the whole lifestyle bit but like he's been doing it for decades he combines it with the physical activities as well right true much like chris traeger yeah like he works out and stuff too he doesn't just do atkins like you can't just sit and like dip your hamburger (laughs) into like sour cream and be like i've done it (laughs) that is so disgusting but (laughs) true okay yeah Mm mm-hmm just the imagery <laughs> so the last chance site was published in 1976 and it involved drinking a low calorie liquid which was lovingly referred to as a meat smoothing <laughs> mm, sa- save your save okay. your gagging that, because it's gonna get gross. it's gonna get worse it's gonna get worse before it gets better so this drink was made from slaughterhouse leftover products like crushed animal horns hooves tendons hives and bones <laughs> Flavorings and colorings were added to it to make it look more appealing. But overall, it was a very poor quality drink. It was taken off the market, you know, after a bunch of people died. It kind of makes me think of that. What is that? That pink drink? Oh, like a swirly. No, no, like a no. Thick... Like that, that lady. No, it was pink sauce. She was selling it on the. Oh, <laughs> that she was making in her house. Yeah. Like, yeah. It... And nothing was the same color. Yeah. And also, it... you can't ship she... food products by mail without a permit. But like. Not yeah, like that. Well, not for profit. She was she was incredibly problematic because people were like, has the FDA approved this? And she went on a live and she was like, this is not medicine. The FDA doesn't need to do anything with this. And it was like, oh, girl. Yeah. You need to <laughs> shut down your site and get a lawyer. You need to get a lawyer. But yeah, they, this was I looked it up because I was like, this sounds disgusting. Did people actually buy this? They did. It was like five dollars a bottle, which in 1976 feels like a lot. Yeah. Five bucks for something that killed you <laughs> if you drank too much of it because it was just and it sounds really It sounds like, like liquid hot dog. It does, but like it also had like it sounds like a way a really gross capitalism. Like, man, what are we gonna do with all these gross parts that people just throw out? Why don't we ground it up and sell it to That's people? That's so right. You are <laughs> That's spot disgusting. On, like people were like, Oh, we can market it as weight loss, but really we just need a way to get rid of this stuff mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. money that's that's evil like that's evil but that's like what was well, happening so the next year there a new shake was released um not by the same company but by slim fast <laughs> slim fast liquid meal replacements were introduced in 1977 and diet pills like dexatrim were also quite popular dexatrim interestingly enough was pulled from the market only in the year 2000 because it had been linked to people having strokes Diet foods and weight loss centers also began selling prepackaged meals. The Diet Clinic Plan and Nutrisystem, for example, they were both formed during this decade and they still exist today. So cigarette marketing also started to suggest a link to weight loss. One ad for Virginia Slim stated, these cigarettes are longer and slimmer than the fat ones men smoke. Not outright claiming weight loss, but like really implying it. Yeah. Uh, By the 1980s, celebrity involvement in diet culture was starting to grow as well. So the Beverly Hills diet was introduced. It had a few steps, but it started out with uh, the first 10 days of eating only fruit. And uh, in, on November 15th, 1988, 
Oprah pulled a wagon across the stage on her TV show. What was in it? 67 pounds of fat. She lost it using a liquid protein fast. She later said that her new clothes didn't fit within a week once she started eating real food again. It's not sustainable. It's not. Yeah. 1992 brought us the Food Guide Pyramid that you mentioned before, um, and this recommended 8 to 11 servings of bread and grains on the bottom section and fats and oils on the top with the instructions to eat sparingly. So the contrasting advice from Atkins High Protein Diet and like the Food Guide Pyramid's High Carb Diet made it so that these extreme diets were, were like the most popular at the time. So you had the like the carb heavy people know this is what the Food yeah. Guide Pyramid says and the Atkins people know this is what he says. It's a mess. I would love to do more research on the food diet pyramid because eight to eleven servings of bread and grain well, they, sounds like a lot. They changed is it, this right? Daily? It's no, yeah, it was a day, but um, mm. it's no longer in use. They changed it to like the portion plate or something like that. No, I mean just like because now I'm like question everything. Like everything's nefarious to me. Like what were they? Why were they trying to push so much bread? <laughs> what was going on? Because that's a lot of big grain of was like, coming for us. big grain. Yeah, John Kellogg was like, "Hey, I got some cereal for you." Because like, how many bowls of cereal are you eating? Like, are you having a roll on the side of every meal? Like eight to eleven servings of bread and grain is. I eat jerky every little having pasta and a roll. Like, that's real. That's a lot. Well, if you think about, like, if I pour a bowl of cereal and then I actually go back and measure out how many servings yeah. it is, it's usually at least two, if not three, <laughs> of what they recommend. I do remember, like, I would, I never poured, like, I haven't had cereal in years, but um, I never did the servings. And then one day for Weight Watchers, I did, and I was like, oh, I've been eating, like, three servings exactly, of cereal same. every time I've eaten it. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like, this is not. It's not. This is not enough cereal. In 1994, the FDA started to require all packaged food in the U.S. that it needed to have nutritional information labels. This is also when we see the appearance of the 100-calorie snack packs, my favorite. Oh, yeah. As a fat child. <laughs> you could have one, but you always had like two or three. Sure you did. But you were aware of it because of all the empty wrappers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, almost, it's almost worse, really. Yeah. It's shaming you because now you're looking at three packages. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, man, I got full off three packages. Something must be wrong with me. I should have just gotten full off the one. Anyway, so the green juice plan was another very popular diet. It was a really easy way to get all your fruits and vegetables in. Yeah, but of course, it doesn't account for the fact that like you're removing most of the fiber, which is what helps you digest, like process and push mm -hmm. all the waste out of your body. But cool, 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 cool. Um, th there's the drink a man's diet. It's basically in the name, but beyond mm. alcohol, it also encouraged eating manly foods, you know, like steak and fish and meat, man, er. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we're not picking diets, but if I had to pick one, <laughs> I just, I think I just want steak. Yeah. Really? Steak is good. Oh, and there's the cabbage soup diet, right? Which was popularized back in the 1950s, but it comes back into fashion every decade or so. And I'm pretty sure like the last time when I did Weight Watchers, they had a version of this that they kind of push. It's like the zero point soup. Water? Pa pass. I, cabbage. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds, that sounds gross to me. Other diets that center around one single miraculous food item uh, were the grapefruit diet that we mentioned before. The peanut butter diet, which I do like, and the ice cream diet. Which I fully support, but I'm not lactose intolerant. I actually like all of those foods. So, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I would have a peanut butter ice cream diet. Could I just mix those Ooh. two? I would. The grapefruit has to stay separate. I'm not mixing that in. <laughs> but, yeah, grapefruit for breakfast, 
peanut butter mm-hmm. for lunch and ice cream for dinner. <laughs> I mean, that sounds delicious. Yeah, but probably not sustainable. <laughs> no. All right, present day. In 2003, we have something called the seven-day color diet. Its premise was that you would only eat foods of one color each day. So like red day would be things like tomatoes, apples, raspberries, like that. But like Twizzlers are red, right? Strawberry ice cream. Mm -hmm. Strawberry ice cream, it's more pink, but it's still in that red family. Like, does that count? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, You have things called like the Shangri-La diet. Oh, yes. That came out in 2006, and it claimed that one could beat hunger by drinking olive oil. Not sure how much olive oil, but before like an hour before each meal yeah is it like apple cider where it's just like a tablespoon before each one or are you drinking like a pint like byron's ladies that followed him around so like the food just like slides out of your body maybe you're you're, like greasing the intestines yeah (laughs) it's all lubed up so it just shoots right out oh that's so wrong i don't know that's weird um so diet pills start to become really really popular i mean they still are thank god like ingredients are different now They're a little bit more natural now, like acai berries and green tea. Uh, The reason for this, mostly because the FDA had to ban laboratory weight loss formulas. Yeah, but the FDA wasn't banning everything. In 2009, they approved Ali, uh, Ali. That's that's called Ally. I know because I also use that. Okay. That caused major stomach pains. Oh, lovely. Well, yeah, it is the only FDA approved over-the-counter weight loss drug, and it still includes reduced diet work, and many people have had very bad side effects from it, as you just mentioned. Who here has been personally victimized by Ally? (laughs) Yes, we did it. Three. (laughs) I don't know what number we're going for. I don't either, but three. I think three is, at least three is good. We should get a tiny pink gong (laughs) and, like, hit it every time we make a Mean Girls reference. So other alternatives to weight loss products were created at this time. So you had high-tech leg warmers that heat up your legs and help to slim them. Oh, lovely. Yeah, okay. But like, then it doesn't sound like any of these would work. So you also had fat-burning lip balm. I mean, what does it, is it, how, what, what? <laughs> I don't know. It feels like somebody was does just it make like, you how not do want to eat? I don't know. Does it just burn the fat in your lips? Like, who knows? <laughs> and who wants to do that? Don't we, aren't we like aiming for like, uh, does, aren't they marketing us as having like big plump big lips? lips? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's nonsense. That's a whole nother episode. Um, aromatic products designed to suppress food cravings. Lovely. Ear staples. What, what is that you ask? Yeah. Ear stapling is inserting a surgical staple into the cartilage of your ear to suppress your appetite and help you lose weight. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. What? It's a whole thing. Yeah. No, I, I looked into that and I was like, wait, wait, they, what? And then I was like, well, couldn't you just get your cartilage pierced? <laughs> Would that work? Yeah. The cheap version of it? <laughs> that shit hurts. So. Also. <laughs> I had uh, a cartilage piercing, like I had the scaffold. Yeah. It, I, it wasn't done in ear stapling needs, but also did not suppress any appetite. No. That two holes up there. Well, we also saw the rise of apps, websites, and wearable electronic devices in the early 2000s. Some of them are really just like glorified pedometers, but others monitor food intake, sleep patterns, and calories burned during exercise. I, I think they're still pretty big today for the most part. They definitely are. Like, I have a Fitbit. Actually, I had a Fitbit, but for Christmas, I got a Google Watch, which is, like, combines Fitbit technology. I love it. I love being able to be like, 
look at how many steps I walk. Yeah. I, or when I don't do anything, like, man, I only did 200 steps today. That's crazy. Um, but I, I take, like, the win wherever I can. So I definitely like my Fitbit. Yeah. And I think we live in a, in a tech age where those sort of approaches to diet and health culture, they can coexist on an occasion um, mm-hmm. where, where it's kind of a big thing. Yeah. So other popular diets of the early 21st century included Blue Vision, South Beach, Paleo, and Ducan diets. Blue Vision diet required you to wear a blue tinted glasses to make the food that you were eating look blue and disgusting. Okay. Which is... Okay. Sure. All right. If I close my eyes, then it won't make a difference. I mean, like, I've eaten food that looks gross but tastes delicious. Like, oysters look disgusting. But, like, I could just... Keep putting oysters in front of me and see what happens. I'm eat them all. <laughs> South Beach is a cross between the Atkins and the Mediterranean diets. It basically starts with a fruit fast and then it moves to like a low carb approach and then finally uh, the Mediterranean diet to, to end it, I guess. Paleo is similar to the caveman diet from the 1970s. So just meat, meat, meat. Mm-hmm. It's a big old meat party. <laughs> That's a thing you said. <laughs> uh, and Dukin is also protein heavy, but does allow vegetables, so... There were also plenty of fad diets in the 2010s. The baby food diet, the clean diet, the KE diet, the werewolf diet, and the cotton ball diet, amongst others. Yeah, the cotton ball diet, that was that was a short-lived fad. It surfaced in 2013. People would eat up to like five cotton balls at a time to feel full leading up to weight loss, apparently. The only downside, you know, intestinal obstruction. Could you imagine if you had to go to the hospital... And have to have surgery to get cotton balls removed from your stomach because you wanted to lose like the last three pounds. I, like, could you, could you, like, I would be so embarrassed. Yeah. Like, that seems so wild. The werewolf diet, though, speaking of wild, um, it had people fast according to moon cycles. So you weren't actually eating people, which was what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, that you eat people? That's crazy. No, you just like only eat meat. Uh, when like the moon is full which yeah that was big with celebrities apparently with who i forget now Uh, there were a couple names but yeah i don't remember all right um and the ke diet in this diet you don't eat food you just have it injected through feeding tubes so cool there's that i mean it saves you time i guess does it though because you're like you have to have a tube inserted into you can you like walk around with it it's not i don't know I would assume so. Like when you have a feeding tube and you're in the hospital, it's just like, I don't know, maybe it's different. I don't know. doesn't sound like a good time to me. I like to taste my food. I like to enjoy my food. What about breatheranianism? I don't know how you even say this. Breatheranianism. Breatheranianism. Okay. Okay. Well, followers of this 2017 movement claim that water and food are not necessary and that they can survive on spirituality and sunlight alone. Obviously, this would lead to starvation eventually, but rumor has it its followers have been spotted eating and drinking. Cowards. (laughs) I mean, hold yourself accountable to something, right? Like, you were bold enough to be like, we don't need it. We only need the spirit. Yeah. And sunlight. So do and it. the thing is with this, like, where's the, the where's the capitalism angle on this? Because like, I could understand them like pre- presenting this and then like eating on the side, being like, "Haha, we're fooling all these people into." But what into buying sunlight? Like, you can't. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe this is just 
a cult. <laughs> I mean, probably. And maybe they're selling you other things. Like you're not eating or drinking. Maybe you're meditating. Maybe you need a new me- meditation mat. Okay. Maybe you need to like get these books because you need to occupy your time somehow, right? Like if you're not eating or drinking about eating. <laughs> you're just yeah, dehydrating like, and dying. But cool. Okay. I wonder if anybody died. I mean, like, I wonder how far they got before they were like, all right, this doesn't work. <laughs> because how many days can you go without food and water? Like, this is a real quick end, end game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, most of them have been seen eating and drinking. So mm-hmm. um, and there's one more that we'll mention here is nutrigenomics. Um, this is less of a diet and more of a theory uh, that your own diet should be based on your DNA. Basically, like where you and your ancestors came from could determine the best diet for you. Now we're going to talk a little bit about how the media responded to diet culture. So when we do talk about it, we're going to, we're again, we're going to keep it to Western culture, specifically the U.S., because it's like what we're familiar mm-hmm. with. But our overseas listeners, I would really love to know your experiences with diet culture. Like, I wonder if it's better or worse or if it's as focused as it is here. Yeah, definitely curious about that. When it comes to diet culture in the U.S., the media feeds it and vice versa, right? Especially when it comes to social media. We'll get deeper into a capitalism rant later, but here's a brief one. A lot of social media works through monetization of a target audience. Think of how many gym or food plan ads you've seen on your feed just in these first couple weeks of January. Week? Week and a half? Week. Yeah. You know? Uh, The goal is to get someone to buy something, and social media pulls out all the stops to make a sale. Yeah. Many people during this time of the year turn to social media to find motivation, right? What they typically find is unqualified people who give false or unconfirmed information about nutrition. Lovely. So you you can find TikToks everywhere. There's this TikTok series called What I Eat in a Day. And you can model your eating after your favorite very thin influencer and hope for the same results. You can also find a large range of wellness trends. Wellness in the biggest quotes. Yeah. Um, that claims that you can lose 10 pounds in three days if you follow these super easy steps. On the flip side, you can find a community of board-certified nutritionists and health-at-every-size content that works to combat this misinformation, but the algorithm is so strong, especially on TikTok, meaning you're only going to see one type of content. You're going to see eating for health or eating for food restriction. Yeah, that's... You're not going to get both. You're never going to get both. But that's our motto. Why not both? Actually... We don't want either of those. <laughs> well, the health, the health, the certified health. I want stuff, eating for help. Yeah, yeah that, that's fine. The Wall Street Journal investigated the link between social media, specifically TikTok, and the content related to weight loss, eating disorders, and dieting. And the folks at Wall Street Journal created a bunch of TikTok accounts as thirteen-year-olds to see what content was pushed on them. Over a period of three months, journalists scrolled through the for use pages on each account, receiving over thirty-two thousand videos targeted at weight loss. And while never typing out a search for that content. And mm-hmm. they're posing as 13-year-olds. Yeah. So what they found was that over 30% of these videos specifically mentioned eating disorders. And 40% of the eating disorder-focused videos promoted disordered eating thoughts and behaviors. So, great. Right? Yeah. But, like, what does this mean? So, it's like, it's not as evil as it sounds, but it's, like, small things that add up. Especially when you're in tar- you're targeting, like, impressionable youths. Yeah. Videos focused around rigid rituals and routines surrounding food and exercise. This could be something like never eating bread at a restaurant or immediately cutting your entire entree in half when your food That's arrives. That's something Weight Watchers always promotes. They're like, oh, when you get your meal, yeah. just cut it in half and ask them to bring a box and just box half of it right away. 
I mean, I guess, but like when you go into a restaurant with that mindset, like it feels harmful. Like instead of just going to be like, I'm going to have dinner with my friends. Now it's like, oh God, I have to have dinner with my friends. And how do I figure out this food? Mm-hmm. Like you can. Yeah. I it's, It takes a lot. And I've finally become a member of the you could just leave it club because it's also been like well you paid for that you can't just like leave it well yeah and also the starving kids in whatever country or continent that we were fed as we were kids Mm -hmm. and it's like well they can't have it and i don't need it so i'm gonna eat as much as i want and then i'm gonna be done with that but like starting yourself off with saying i can't have half of this it's like you're starting yourself on on a negative turn and that's like Mm-hmm. That's not good to learn. Yeah. Um. So they also were seeing videos that um, shamed food, shamed food choices and portions. They also were seeing videos that use exercise, food restriction, fasting, or purging to make up for bad foods consumed. So this comes in the form of like needing to hit a burned calorie goal before you're allowed to eat or fasting a day because you ate badly the day before. I hate and again, that idea. I've done it. I hate that idea yeah. of bad food, eating badly, mm-hmm. like punish, punish, self-flagellate. Ugh. Yeah. TikTok is just the newest form of media to hold up diet culture standards, right? Hollywood's been doing it for years. You've got the cool the cool girl who eats trope. It, this was created by men for men and was meant for women to live up to, right? So the cool girl eats everything. Pizza, wings, Philly cheesesteak, and she washes it all down with a cold beer, and she stays thin without even trying. So you can see these examples in like a lot of our rom-coms that we grew up mm. with. Um, there's something about Mary. Cameron Diaz's character will not shut up about how much she loves eating hot dogs and hamburgers. Like, it's it's a bit obnoxious. In How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Kate Hudson's character plays the cool girl trope to get uh, Matthew McConaughey. And I would really like all of you to Google Kate Hudson eats cheeseburger. Like, she does it, like, very sexually because, like, she loves food. And, mmm, it's, it's kind of gross. I'm thinking of that meme, um, uh, the, the gif from Easy A, where she's... Is it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll find a new gif. Okay. Because this will, this will be the backup the, gif. I like it. The Kate Hudson one, like, it, it really does it. And Mila Kunis, whom I love, but in, like, Almost every movie she's been in. Black Swan, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Friends with Benefits, and most recently, Luckiest Girl Alive. She eats pizzas and tacos and can drink you under the table. She's so cool. So cool. Well, the cool girl is allowed to love, talk about food, enjoy food, but only if she's thin and over the top hot. When you're not Mm -hmm. hot and you love food, then you become the butt of the joke. A really good example of this is Miss Congeniality. Sandra Bullock, before her, like, very sexy makeover, she sits at a bar eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. She's considered a mess, like, the butt of the joke. Like, her coworkers make fun of her for, like, eating ribs and getting, like, sauce on her shirt. But, like, post-makeover, with a slice of pizza, now, now she's the love interest. Mm -hmm. She just had to be hot enough to, like, justify her love of food. Diet culture's influence on our media means that women strive to be the cool girl who eats everything, but you can't because that's not how bodies work. You can't eat pizza and beer every day and be a size two. Not to say that a speedy metabolism doesn't happen. People do have that, but it only gets you so far. Women are holding themselves to this fantasy that was created and written by men, and it's And I think what you bring up about metabolism is really important because when I was younger, right, I talked about my size and weight when I was a teenager. My metabolism Mm -hmm. was super high, but when you get older, 
it changes. It slows. It slows. Mm-hmm. And that's for good reason. That's for evolutionary reasons, right? It's for survival reasons and so on. So no, we can't just eat like that. Like we can't eat the way we ate as teenagers. Like I told a story, I think I've told it on this podcast before, maybe not, where I like ate a whole package of Oreos after school without even thinking about it. And then I ate my dinner and I could eat and eat and eat. That's not, like you said, it'll only get you so far. Uh, The other side of this cool girl trope is the lonely girl. We've all seen that movie or TV show where the girl gets dumped. You know, what, what is she doing when that happens? Well, she's binging ice cream straight from the tub. Honestly, who doesn't eat ice cream straight out of the container? Like, who scoops it into a bowl? Like a tub, but like a tub? Like Like the half gallon one, like. Yeah, like a pint, absolutely. I'm just taking a spoon to that. Who, why would you separate? Why would you waste the bowl? But like a tub of it, like the half gallon, like you would put that in a bowl. Mm, Sometimes. Because then all the ice cream's gonna melt. Yeah, I guess sometimes. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. (laughs) But I also, don't eat it all in one go because I can't have that much dairy at once, even though I can have some. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, she's eating this ice cream straight out of the tub or she's eating uh, like that spray cheese like mm-hmm. right into her mouth from the can. She orders takeout and the restaurant assumes she's ordering for two because it's so much food or they're like, oh, you're regular. You know, you're, you're regular. Your regular yeah. order. Yeah. But really, it's just for her and her loneliness. Hollywood would tell us that this girl is bad. And she's lonely because she can't control her appetite. We're told that this is shameful behavior, leaving the audience conditioned to judge themselves for every bite that they've ever taken. Don't do this. It's just a movie. Please don't judge yourself for this. No. (laughs) On and off screen, the media has long held up thinness as the ideal and food as something to obsess over. It was often explicitly written into the scripts of our favorite TV shows. But in many cases, food exists as a subplot in and of itself just under the radar but loud enough to make a a home in our subconscious Mm -hmm. so rosie blair is a tiktoker and instagram influencer i follow her she's great um she did a series of videos she did a series of videos called characters in movies and tv that we were told were fat but really weren't (laughs) so she speaks of this she said i started out by talking about fat characters that weren't really fat i remember those characters so much from childhood because they made me feel so bad about myself blair says the two that she covers that really stuck with me personally were America Ferreira in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and Renee Zellweger in Bridget Jones. Oh, Diaries. I have thoughts and feelings on these two. <laughs> I want to I want to hear them all. Both of these movies built into the plot that the respective characters were fat and should be treated as such. The butt of the joke and lucky to have any man look at them. So I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I recently started watching Ugly Betty for research for my other podcast mm-hmm. and, a, and a writing project. And again, in this show, America Ferreira plays a fat girl. And of course, she's also ugly because, you know, surprise, surprise, in addition to being fat, in quotation mm-hmm. marks, she wears glasses and braces. So like, obviously, that's what makes her ugly. <sighs> it's exhausting. Um, yeah. And actually, they have a a plot line in one of the early episodes where they have like, it's not her name, but it's basically meant to incorporate the Bridget Jones diary, like the Renee Zellweger. Oh, this actress plays this fat character in the movie. And how does she lose the weight and gain the weight in between each movie or whatever? And and real women have curves, you know, same thing there. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Bridget Jones's diary, like I listened to the audiobook for my other, other podcast. <laughs> and, if I'd had the physical book, I would have thrown it across the room, but I wasn't going to throw my phone. Uh, just because every yeah. chapter is like, 
today I weigh 124 pounds. And, I, and I'm like, 124 pounds? Like, it, and with her height that she's listed as having in the book, it's yeah. like, girl, that's okay. <laughs> like, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. And like, imagine seeing that and being someone who weighs 140 pounds and same height. And you're like, you felt fine about yourself. Mm-hmm. But then you went to go see Bridget Jones' diary and you're like, wait, should I not feel good about myself? And there's like a scene where she's wearing like a bunny costume and she looks so good. Oh, yeah. She looks so good. And she's supposed to be fat and gross. And it's like, come on. Like, come on. Like, who is this for? Like, you're making everyone feel bad about themselves. The idea of having a fat character who isn't really fat forces you to look at the person and then rank yourself. These casting choices mirror the unattainable standards of beauty that women have been held up to everywhere. Even the thinnest woman who watches this movie will doubt their own bodies and will wonder, are their thin bodies actually fat too? Yeah. And for women living in these actual fat bodies, it's a reminder that your body is not good enough to be seen on screen. Even when the condition for being fat is what the casting is calling for. They're like fat, but, but not that fat. No, like America Ferrera. Like, if you want to be like, I I don't know how I feel about the word fat. Like, I guess I'm fine with it. But I don't think that I would have ever considered America Ferrera fat. Like, I'm thinking based on, like, Lay and Bryant standards, like, plus size standards, like, starting at, like, a size 14, 16. I don't think America Ferrera has ever worn a size 14, 16. I would never consider her fat. But growing up, I was told that she was fat. And if I was fatter than America Ferrera, I was definitely the problem. Because this is as fat as the world will accept, right? Yeah. And she's not fat, in my opinion. Like, she's half my size, and I'm fatter than that. Then the world will never accept me if they're not accepting someone. It's America so damaging size. for for people it's all around. Damaging. The media is making incredibly glacially slow strides to make this better. I mean, you can see diverse bodies in mainstream media and music, but there's still, like, a really long way to go. Because whenever there's someone diverse or or in a bigger body there's always backlash to it or it becomes part of their character they can't just exist in that body they have to be the the fat character Mm -hmm. or my favorite thing that happened for a while and i oh i don't know if i can remember the name of the show it was on lifetime i think it was called like drop dead gorgeous or something like the character is a skinny woman who like dies and gets like born again into like a fat woman's body and it's to teach her a lesson because she was really vain before. And now she lives in like this fat person's body. And it was like, yay, this fat actress is getting work. But also, this is the plot of your show. Yeah. Like the plot of your show is that it's a punishment to be in your body. And this person was a bad, you used to be a bad person and now you have to be a good person. And you've been given this body to humble you. Mm-hmm. And now I need to look up what this was called. Drop Dead Diva. And the main actress was a. Uh, Brooke Elliott, a fish out of water comedy about a vapid model who is reincarnated into a brilliant plus size lawyer's body. Yeah, that's that's the thing about the ugly Betty that's really getting to me right now is like all these people are just like, oh, they call her fat Betty and they call her fat Karen and fat, you know, and it's like, stop. Mm -hmm. But what can you do to avoid diet culture? Like, Nothing really. It's it's everywhere. But you can combat it, right? On social media, try following people of all sizes and body types. You know, mm-hmm. recognize that health and happiness is available at any size and that and if you only look at thinness as your body goal, then you're gonna get a real false sense of reality. And remember, 
99% of these things are photoshopped online anyway. Oh my filters, God. We'll filters, share. Like mm-hmm. you take a picture and it's like filter. Ooh. And it makes your face like half the width it is. Like there's, um, her name is Dana something. We shared it the, the other day on, on Instagram. I was like, what are your favorite, who are your favorite like female creators? And the one that I shared, her name is Dana. I can't remember her last name, but I'll like tag her. She, her whole page is like, this is how influencers post pose to look thinner and this is like the unretouched version so like the the magic that people do with like lighting and where you hold your hand and how you angle the Mm -hmm. camera to make you look thinner is crazy and like it's it should be known that like when you look on social media like people people are posting what they want you to post like there's there's always something to be sold so you should always look at those things with like a grain of salt and understand that you are more than likely being manipulated All right, so in terms of the truth, let's start out by summing this whole thing up in one sentence. There is no one ideal human diet. For example, humans vary in their abilities to extract sugars from starchy foods. This is apparently genetic. I'm not a gene scientist, but apparently it has something to do with how many copies of this certain gene we inherit. Yeah, so for example, like the Hadza people from Tanzania have more copies of this gene than the Yakut people from Siberia who come from like a meat eating background. Basically their saliva helps the Hadza people break down starches more efficiently before it reaches their stomachs because they've evolved that way over hundreds and thousands of years. In one study that looked at how some 800 people digested the same meal, researchers found vast differences. After monitoring blood sugar levels and other factors, researchers concluded that each person may need an individualized approach to dieting if they wish to be successful long-term. There's also a huge variation on the types of foods that humans can thrive on. And this, again, depends on the genetic inheritance. So even if we're not what we eat, we are what our ancestors ate. Biological anthropologist William Leonard explains this when he says, what makes us human is our ability to find a meal in virtually any environment. I think that's kind of cool if you think about it, right? Like, Yeah. In the swamps. In the swamps. In the desert. Shrek found a way to make that waffle. (laughs) Our donkey made the waffle, actually. Leonard and fellow researcher Leslie Aiello say, the real, the real hallmark of being human isn't our taste for meat, but our ability to adapt to many habitats and to be able to combine many different foods to create healthy diets. Primatologist Richard Wrangham suggests that maybe we are victims of our own success. We learned to cook foods, which may have helped us build bigger brains, but also helped us get more calories from food so we could gain weight for survival. Now we're so good at processing foods, like through cooking and that sort of thing, um, as well as in a lab, (laughs) that for the first time in human evolution, we consume more calories than we burn in any given day. Wrangham suggests that we need to be more aware of the increased calorie intake from a highly processed diet. We defined the word diet in the beginning of the episode, but the general meaning has basically been lost to pop culture. Basically, today, it's a reference to the ways in which we can restrict our food intake rather than just about general food intake. And fad diets are still popular today, and in most cases, equally as dangerous as they have always been. Social media spreads these fad diets around even more quickly than before. The truth? It's better that people looking to lose weight adopt a more balanced and diverse diet and incorporate regular exercise into their routines rather than spending even more money on the next so-called miracle diet. 
There's no easy secret to losing weight. To achieve sustained weight loss requires reducing calorie intake and increasing physical activity. You don't need grapefruit or meat shakes or cotton balls, just, you know, a balanced diet and some physical activity. I don't know. Meat shakes. Meat shakes sound really good. <laughs> they don't. They sound like terrible fad diets. So fad diets are usually a short-term quick fixes. People will see an initial rapid weight loss, likely much more due to a lower calorie intake than about specific foods that they are eating. Yeah. And what about the environmental impact of many of these diets, right? Those diets that revolve heavily around meat and dairy take a tremendous toll on the world's resources. And, and honestly, depending on the grains, nuts, fruits, or vegetables and how they're cultivated, these foods can also have a negative environmental impact if not considered in balance with one another. And think about the financial impact, right? Americans will spend over $61 billion a year on diet products. A year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In Western society, being overweight causes people to feel guilt and shame and self-hatred. And companies take advantage of that to sell us products. It all comes back to capitalism, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> We're constantly being fed the line that we could be thinner, younger, and more loved, but only if we buy the next big thing in diet culture. So some research suggests that Americans might be losing their taste for dieting overall, but I don't know if I'm fully convinced. You know, but for example, in 2014, 43% of Americans said that their New Year's resolution was to lose weight. Only a year later in 2015, it was down to 32%. So I'm like, I'm not sure what the numbers are this year, but it, that is an interesting change. It is still the number one New Year's resolution for all Americans, though. And when we look at dieting in general, 31% of U.S. adults were actively dieting in 1991. That number was down to 20% in 2013. And only 23% of Americans that year said that they believed a certain weight would make them more attractive. Now, all that being said, in 2015, Amazon still sold over 23,000 weight loss books, 19,000 diet books, 31,500 fitness books, and 10,000 weight loss cookbooks. So it really hasn't gone away. So I wonder what the percentage of that is like well-meaning gifts. That's a good question, actually. Like, oh, I yeah. got this for you so you can to help you lose weight. I hope not, but gross. Thanks, mom. Yeah, I mean, mm, I've been reading lots of uh, Am I the Assholes lately? And there are some parents that will like hand you a diet book and be like, you look fat. Here's a diet book for you. Yikes. Like, just... Like, these are gifts for people. So I wonder how much of that is like, oh, I know you've been struggling lately. Here's a book. And it's like, thanks, Grandma. I want to talk a little bit about um, how all of this could be, like, damaging to us. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, we got more for you. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, BMI. Ugh. BMI, yeah, right? That grown is accurate. BMI stands for Body Mass Index. And it was created in the early, well, some of it was created. It's, it's a long story. So in the 1940s, Metropolitan Life Insurance Company created this table for like a desirable weight. They worked off the body mass index created by a 19th century Belgian statistician named Adolphe Contetlet. He built it as a tool to assess weight distributions across populations. The sample size that he used was a measurement of white, male, Scottish, and French soldiers. So diverse. So, so diverse. <laughs> they were Scottish and French. Wait, I'm yes. Scottish and French, but I'm not male. So, oh, well. Or a soldier. Or a sol I'm definitely not a soldier. I would be the worst soldier ever. I'd be like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> 
So in these charts, the person's age was not a factor, but the individual's body frame played a significant role. So this is kind of the opposite of uh, the Greeks, I guess. But uh, Mm -hmm. healthy weight was based on a small, medium, or large body frame. Then in the 1970s, a group of American doctors adopted the BMI table to set weight and mortality standards for insurance payments. Now, this is the number that you get medically judged by. Lovely. Insurance company, of course. So capitalism is behind this again. Exactly. Exactly. Just wait. (laughs) Just wait. But yes, according to an article written by Alice Callahan for the New York Times, the BMI measurement does a poor job of predicting a person's metabolic health. In a 2016 study of more than 40,000 adults in the United States, researchers compared people's BMIs with more specific measurements of their health, like their insulin resistance, markers of inflammation and blood pressure, triglycerides, cholesterol, and glucose levels. Nearly half of those classified as overweight and about a quarter of those classified as obese were metabolically healthy by these measures. On the other hand, 31% of those with a quote-unquote normal body mass index were metabolically unhealthy. So real quick, I once had to do a health fair at my job, which was like, oh, if you do this health fair, like, they take a little bit of money off your insurance. Sure. So me and my coworkers did, like, all this blood work. This was at, like, two jobs ago. No, one job ago. And I worked with, like, very fat phobic people. And when we did all the the blood work, so it was, like, your cholesterol, your triglycerides, all that stuff. My numbers are really good. My numbers are really good. Like, I had really low cholesterol. Like, everything was fine. Like, the only number that was high was my weight. And we were like going over, you know, the weight was on a different side. So we flipped it over. So you didn't see people's weight, but you saw the numbers. And I worked with this guy. He was really athletic and his cholesterol numbers were terrible. Like he needed to go see a doctor like right now and get on pills. And he was so shocked that my numbers are better. And he was just like, I don't understand it. Like he, like his mouth was hanging open. Because they're not a one-to-one correlation, motherfucker. Exactly. (laughs) And like to make him feel better, I was like, I guess I'm just like a skinny person in a fat suit. And he was like, I guess, because like this is crazy. Like, what am I doing wrong? And I was like, I feel bad that you feel that way. But also like, I love that you were just like, she's fat. Her cholesterol must be bad. Like everything must be bad. Like her triglycerides. Like, And I was like really okay like my sugar levels were good like i was fine i just had a high weight and he was flabbergasted and like so were my other co-workers i think that's really important to recognize because like so i have these spots on my eyelids um i don't think most people notice them because of my glasses but they're like little patches of skin that are a different color and i know that my dad had had them so i asked him about this when we went to visit for christmas and he's like get your cholesterol checked because that's what mine was what? Yeah, so like I I have something that says like okay, I should get this checked, but otherwise why would I, you know, I know you're supposed to get a physical every year, but like let's mm-hmm. be honest, how many of us actually do that? <laughs> um in good, but I'm glad you do <laughs> and you should. The fat girl raised her hand. I do. Yeah, and I mean, I I go I go to the gyno every year, so I do have that mm-hmm. checkup, but yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, if someone just looked at me, they'd be like, "Oh, she's healthy." Guess what? I have like really bad back problems. I am extremely weak. I am short of breath very quickly. I have apparently something I got to check out with my cholesterol. It's not about physical appearance. Yeah. And that's what I just wish people would get over. <laughs> Same. So the BMI is diet culture wearing like a tiny stethoscope and it's got like a little prescription pad that says, just try losing three to 30 pounds. Uh-huh. 
And you just said all of this, but it is very harmful because it seems that if you're at a normal weight, then you're fine. Leading doctors to miss potentially really unhealthy habits that their patients might have, like following a poor diet or not getting enough physical activity. Or even just genetic things, right? Like Mm -hmm. you could be, quote unquote, like this guy at your work doing all the right Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. But some of those things are genetic and that's likely what his cholesterol issue was. Probably. He ate a lot of well, meat. Well, okay, that and too. you don't even eat that much meat. So. I don't, but there are different, Genetic, the different yeah. factors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, BMI is also used to restrict care, right? Certain insurance companies use BMI to determine risk factors when a patient is pursuing care. This leads many doctors to advise the patient to lose weight and then come back for care. Mm-hmm. In a survey published in the United Kingdom in 2013, 54% of doctors who responded supported measures to deny treatment to the obese. It puts a stigma on the person seeking treatment. The trauma of going to a doctor only to have them reference your BMI and ignore all your other problems is real. Treatment like this leads bigger people to avoid doctors, meaning they could be missing health problems that could be easily solvable. So I have another story. This is like my, this is so much of my life. Um, so I, way back when I was in college, I woke up and like, I couldn't talk. Like my throat was like a mess. So one of my um, dorm mates was like, uh, let me take you to like the hospital. Cause like, what else did we have? Like, they weren't urgent cares back then. So, like, you had to go to the hospital. So, I went to the hospital and I sat there for like a really long time. And a doctor finally came in. He looked at my throat. They like did blood work or whatever. And he's like, Oh, yeah, it looks like you have strep. Um, you should take these antibiotics. It's going to be really hard for you to eat. But, like, that's fine. Like, you could stand not to eat for a couple of days. What the fuck? And that's not like, listen, I got stories but about for- doctors <sighs> looking at me and just saying things. But it was just so rude. Like, I literally couldn't even speak. Because physically I couldn't speak. And also I was like, I just, I have strep throat. Like, sir, I don't understand why, doctor, I don't understand why you would be so rude to me. Like, it made no sense. And then my friends were like, oh, like, let's go to a diner. And they're like, oh, we could get you some soup. And I was like, no, I don't want anything. I'm fine. Meanwhile, I was starving. I didn't eat all morning. And I didn't eat that day because I felt so bad that this doctor said this thing to me. And I was like, well, maybe he's right. But it's like, also, like, you can't just not. Not eating eat. isn't the That's answer. That's not how bodies work. Ugh. Yes. Discrimination isn't just within the medical world either, right? The mocking and bullying of people because they're fat aka fat phobia, is a part of diet culture that is both common and harmful. Weight-based discrimination can impact access to jobs, healthcare, and more. In an article written by Rebecca Poole for the Washington Post titled Weight Discrimination is Rampant, Yet in Most Places It's Still Legal, Poole points out that a hospital in Victoria, Texas that imposed a strict BMI limit on its employees. The cutoff was 35 in the obese range. The hospital claimed patients' expectations of what a healthcare provider should look like was the reason, and this was entirely legal. How is this possible, you might ask? Poole points out that the American legal system has has limited to no recourse when a person is fired or simply not hired due to weight. Obesity is not in any of the protected classes. The idea is that if you wanted to be skinny, you would be. Oh, right. Yeah, it's it's easy. People have been doing it since the 15th century because it's so easy, right? Unlike what society wants us to believe, calling negative attention to someone's weight does not motivate them to diet or exercise more. Most research actually suggests the opposite. According to Poole, weight stigma worsens the quality of life for people on the receiving end and even increases mortality rates, probably because of such factors as increased stress and depression. Yeah. And also, like, pure stubbornness. Like, you tell me what to do, I'm not going to do it. No. (laughs) So, as we mentioned before, diets themselves are hard. On your body and people tend to f- fail 
I think we'll put that in air quotes too because I I don't like mm-hmm. that 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 idea, but that is the stigma. Yeah. All weight loss diets strive to reduce your calorie intake, and when this happens, the number of calories leaving your fat tissue, calories out, becomes greater than the number of calories entering it, calories in, triggering your body and brain to think you're entering a starvation period. So because of this, your body fights back, doing everything that it can to help you to stop lose weight. Making you tired so that you can reserve your energy, making you hungrier so that you eat more to increase your calories in, making the diet unmanageable and causing you to stop and start, aka yo-yo dieting. According to a study done by the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, yo-yo dieting can increase your body fat percentage at the expense of muscle mass and strength and can cause fatty liver, high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart disease. Yo-yo dieters also report poor self-confidence regarding their body and health. In other words, they feel a sense of being out of control. During the dieting process, food starts to get the label of good food versus bad food. But no food should be thought of as good or bad. Every food, no matter how it's categorized, provides nutrition. There are certain foods that aren't as nutritious as others, but a Big Mac will still provide some nutrients. Our bodies need protein, fiber, and sugar, all, and even fat to survive. Yeah, labeling foods as good or bad is problematic in and of itself, right? Eating only so-called good foods gives too much power to the bad ones. What typically happens when you restrict any food, let's use a cookie as an example, is that all you want is that cookie, right? You eat the so-called good foods, so you finally reward yourself with a cookie or 10 cookies. Then you finish the box. Yeah, for example, you um, you might eat an entire bag of Milano cookies on your walk home so you can throw the bag out before you get there so you don't have to share your shame. You know, just a random example. You know, nothing specific that anyone here has ever done. <clears throat> that sounds close to home. <laughs> yeah, it's only like six blocks to the grocery store, too. That was a lot of cookies in six blocks. Oh, and, and you might grab another box even because you've ruined your diet already. So what's one more cookie? And you can just start again tomorrow. But... If you just eat the one cookie when you want the one cookie, knowing that you can have more cookies, your mind won't go into this like scarcity mindset. That's when you're so obsessed with the lack of something that you can't seem to focus on anything else, no matter how hard you try. Mm -hmm. So language around food is also super important. We all know or have been that person who has said they're going to be bad or fat and order dessert after dinner. Phrases like cheat day, guilt-free, indulgent, or treat yourself – Only lean into the idea that you only deserve food if you've earned it by not eating or by restricting. That's really funny. I posted something on Twitter today asking people how they treated themselves this week and what what did they do to treat yourself (laughs) using that gift. But it wasn't specifically related to food. It was just like, what's a general thing that you did for yourself this week that you Mm -hmm. that made you happy, that made you feel good? What was it? Like, let's celebrate that. the, The treat yourself Parks and Rec thing. Yeah, but it was it was more like massages, nails, yeah. like luxury, luxury uh, lotion. It wasn't like, a it cookie. Was like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a cookie. No, because like you're not. I like to say this all the time, and it's mostly to remind myself. Like you're not a dog. You don't need to reward yourself with food. Mm, like I like that. Oh, you sat. Good job. Here's a cookie. No, <laughs> like you're a human person who needs to eat. Like I get that dogs need to eat too, but like you're training dogs for something. That's why you reward them with food. No. Oh. Pete's like, yes. Hi, Pete. Pete's like, you have treats for me? No. You said the T word. <laughs> yeah. See? Don't don't be like a dog that like hears a treat and gets really excited. Exactly. 
Uh, not only does diet culture ruin your relationship with food, it ruins your sense of self, right? Diet culture tells us there's an ideal body that we should be striving for. And it starts at a young age with things like Barbie and, and her thigh gap. Although, um, let's not lie, I am excited about this Barbie movie. Very, very excited. I mean, it's Margot Robbie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I love Margot Robbie. Exactly. So. Ooh, we should go together. Okay. And then it continues to adulthood with influencers selling things like tummy tea and waist trainers. Like, it doesn't stop. So kind of what they're saying is like, if you don't have the ideal body, then like, what's what's that mean? The one that you have is defective, right? Or it's wrong in some way. We've been focusing on the fat phobia of diet culture because it affects everyone. So like even those in average or slender bodies can feel that they're not thin or curvy enough in the exact right places. It hits everyone. Yeah. And all this leads to is guilt about not measuring up to people we see on our screens, people with these so-called ideal bodies. Like We think that it's important to note that those bodies are not always what they seem, right? Most fitness influencers, it's their job to look that way. They make money by selling the idea that their lifestyle can work for anyone. But if you have a steady job, hobbies, or family, you're quickly going to run out of time in your day. So there's this influencer, Michelle Lewin. She's one of the most popular fitness influencers on Instagram and YouTube. She's got 14.5 million followers. She's a model slash bodybuilder. She has her own range of supplements, workout equipment, and she's also created two apps, one for a fitness plan and one for a meal plan. So her YouTube is filled with, uh, she's currently pregnant. So she's doing like all these pregnant workouts and like meal plans. A, a day in the life video for her explains how she does 45 minutes of cardio in the morning. During the day, she films content, which is working out. And in the evening, she and her trainer husband do a two hour weight workout. So like my 45 minutes of cardio in the morning is taking two trains to work. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Lewin herself says that people think she has the perfect body, but the perfect body doesn't exist. She herself is rarely happy with the way she looks. Her husband says, quote, she doesn't see the same person as we do. She sees herself in the mirror. She feels skinny. She feels fat. Well, I can tell her that she, I can tell her you look spectacular. What she needs to change is probably the hardest part. And it's up here. And then he gestures to his mind. So hearing that led me to yell at my screen. What the fuck is the point then? This woman has fine-tuned her body, logged countless hours in the gym, and does not like how she looks. And then I remembered, it's capitalism, baby. Yeah, Michelle Lewin is a businesswoman, right? She's selling you the idea that you too could one day look like her. Even if she knows you actually never will, and even if you do, you might still not be happy. Thank you for your purchase. Kim Kardashian is another businesswoman who will tell you that curves are gold, but she will also then say, without shapewear, you'd see cellulite, and I just wouldn't feel as confident, all while having a shapewear brand to sell you. Mm -hmm. She sells you the, I'm sorry, I just, those Kardashians, she sells you the idea that you shouldn't feel as good in your body, and then sells you the thing that'll make you feel better. It's evil. Uh, yeah. you, you can't you can't sell someone insecurities and then be like, oh, hey, but I got a thing for that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. Diet culture preys on our self-esteem, right? And our wallets mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. Just think over your lifetime how much you have spent on things like workout DVDs, at-home equipment, gym access, weight loss cookbooks, food plans like Weight Watchers or Noom, meal placement shakes, or even those cookies, right? Like $5,000 easily, I think. I would really love to like, I wish you could get like a spotify year wrap for like how much you've spent like in your lifetime i would love to know but i think that i've there were definitely 
parts in my early 20s where I was buying all sorts of weight loss DVDs and like workout plans Mm -hmm. and like special types of blenders and juicers so that I could like juice at home. Like I spend I've spent a ton of money and still live in this fat body. So, yeah. Well, under diet culture, corporations are incentivized to sell you their product by any means, right? The Coca-Cola company, for example, sells Coke, Diet Coke, Coke Zero. And that's not so that you have healthy options. That's so that they can make money no matter what you choose. I mean, they also sell water. It's like sewer water or whatever, but they still sell water. And so they're covering all their bases to make the maximum profit they can. They're not just doing it because they love us and want us to be healthy. Yeah, no. (laughs) What? What? I am flabbergasted (laughs) that a company would be so ruthless. Uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. So, like I said, I know I'm going, everything is evil, right? But kind of it is. is. It kind of is. So it's a really good idea to stop and think, who benefits when you quote-unquote fail on the latest fad diet? So you've lost 30 pounds, right? Congratulations. Now you need better clothes. So like cue your shopping montage at your favorite store. You know, you're doing twirls and everything. So research shows that 95 to 98% of people who go on a diet will gain the weight back and more over time. I just, I want to say that again. 95 to 98%. If though, if there were numbers like that for anything else, you would never do it. Like if it was like 95 to 98% of people who cross the street get hit by cars you would never cross the street again <laughs> those numbers are so high and yet all these people are like ready to throw themselves into mm-hmm. a diet yeah. so so now you've gained back now you've gained back the weight that you lost right so now you should buy clothes now you're buying things twice right who's making money from this like h&m or wherever you shop whatever your favorite clothing store is they're not making money twice off of you but it's okay if you you know, gain the weight back. There's another, there's another diet you can try, and 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 there are new fitness classes that are trending. Uh, the diet and weight loss industry is a seventy-two billion dollar enterprise between things like apps, home workouts, gyms, to-go meals, and supplements. In order for the business model to work and make profits, diets can't work. You have to fail and try again and again. There's like a bigger picture about diet culture, like there always is, right? So the bigger picture is like about where the money is spent and where it's not being spent. So like, it's real easy to blame fat people for being fat. It's easier than investing money and energy into giving people, everyone, access to fresh foods and clean outdoor spaces so that they can move and connect and enjoy nature. So a while ago before, like before, like during the fall, I guess when it was still nice out, I was like, I really want to go for like a walk. Like I want to go somewhere nice. And me and my husband, we packed up the dog. We like took the bus over to Prospect Park because it was the closest nice park. The park by us is like very small and like very dirty and no one wants to walk around in it. And we walked around for hours. We had the dog off the leash. We like explored like all these areas. Like we walked around for like three to four hours and we were like, man, I wish we could do this all the time. But like. We had to, like, get over there to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a whole day. Like, we couldn't just casually go because there's not a good park by us. So, like, your zip code makes a lot of of decisions for you. Yeah. So, like, I live in in East Williamsburg, which I lean into. And I used to just say Williamsburg. But, like, you got to make the difference because Williamsburg is, like, a weird place now. But East Williamsburg is, like, still old school Williamsburg. Like, it's not 
we don't have an Apple store over here. Yes. You know, we've got one good grocery store on my side of Williamsburg. We don't have clean parks to go to. And when we went on our honeymoon, we went to the Bay Area. There were so many opportunities just to go on a hike. Like we would be driving down the road and then there would just be like a trail marker for a trail that started. And we would see people jump out of their cars and just go on a well, hike. I think that's a big difference, though, is like the yeah. California is much more of a car city like the cities yeah. in california are much more car cities than ours are if you just had a car you could jump in and drive to prospect park and park there you'd go more often yeah but yeah it's, true it's a whole to do when you live in a, a mm -hmm. walking city or a, a public transportation city i mean i feel like our public transportation needs to be better or our parks need to be better like i shouldn't have Why to go both? to the other side of brooklyn yeah but i shouldn't have to go to the other side of brooklyn to like enjoy a park mm -hmm. You're you're talking about the zip codes and everything, and zip codes also tie in with the idea of food deserts, right? These mm -hmm. leave people without proper nutrition, and it's especially true in low-income areas. According to a study done in 2011, the most poverty-dense counties are those most prone to obesity. And I don't know, maybe this ties back into that swamp theory thing, right? Like people living in more swampy areas are more likely to be living in poverty. I don't know. Is that maybe I, a thing? You know what? That makes sense. I don't know that rich that people sense. live in the desert, but maybe they do. <laughs> but the issue with this finding isn't obesity, right? Which we said isn't an accurate marker for health, but rather the fact that our society lacks the resources to foster health separate from weight across socioeconomic lines. So like, again, about the zip code thing, like you don't see Whole Foods or Trader Joe's in poor neighborhoods. On the flip side, you rarely see fast food places in richer areas, at least in New York City. Yeah, my neighborhood, and we've talked about my neighborhood, um, is mm -hmm. an example of this. It, you know, we have one McDonald's, that's it. And it's like borderline like Gowanus. It's like right on yeah. the, the cusp between the two neighborhoods. And, mm -hmm. and we've got one of the only four Whole Foods in all of Brooklyn, right? So we, we've got those those fancy grocery stores and we've got a low like when the chipotle came in people were scandalized and that's like the closest yeah. we have to <laughs> well we have a five guys i guess but even then five guys and chipotle those are like high-end fast food they are because five guys is expensive yeah, but it's so good <laughs> it's so good i haven't had it no, Listen, it's so tasty. Time. It's not good. It's tasty. Let's let's it's let's take yeah. back that language. We, see, we're victim see, of it ourselves. I didn't mean good no, like that. I meant good like delicious. I know, I know but yes, you did, it's tasty. but like I think that's yes. one of those things that uh, again when we're internalizing that conversation. But the fact mm -hmm. that we're calling five guys good is like someone else might call it bad. And 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 that's Yeah, it's junk food, mm. but it's delicious. And the next time we record we should record in person and get five guys. okay um but i think about that because i work in brooklyn heights and that area oh, is bougie super it's so bougie there's like you have to walk quite a distance to get to the fast food and then you're basically in downtown brooklyn by then it's again yeah. on the cusp of that because mm -hmm. we used to live in northern brooklyn heights very cheap mm -hmm. deal we're not really brooklyn heights type people but <laughs> I just I always feel like I have to throw in that disclaimer because it's so mm -hmm. bougie. And it was yeah. like a 10 block walk before there was like anything. There was one little restaurant right next door to us, a little mm -hmm. uh, Mediterranean cafe. And then it was 10 blocks to any other restaurant. I mean, it hasn't gotten much better. And there's nothing you can get that's like quick. I have such a thing with breakfast in the morning because I'm like, I don't always want breakfast is like always very bread heavy. 
And I'm like, man, I would love like something with eggs or something. Mm -hmm. But like you can get this muffin that's dry and like that. There's not a lot of things that you could get for breakfast in Brooklyn Heights. And if you do that really expensive, there's nothing like quick. Like I'm like, I could get an egg McMuffin real quick. And that's like, I don't know that the idea of like healthy or good, like whatever. I want not bread yeah. in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I want like something protein but. help that like, yeah, kind of boost your energy. Yeah, to like start. Yeah, like that's – so I think like the whole, you know, part of me like figuring out food is figuring out like what works for me. And like in the morning I need something that's not carby and heavy. Yeah. I need something that like I would even have like a piece of steak in the morning over like a croissant. Like the croissant's going to be delicious, but it's I'm going to be sleepy. Like I need something with protein. And like there's not a lot of breakfast places where you can do stuff like that. And especially in Brooklyn Heights, there are lots of sit down restaurants, which is very funny to me because it's like it's it's 830 in the morning. Why are you not at work? You could sit down and have breakfast. Yes, they can sit down. Yeah, because those people those are people. wealthy enough to do so. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yeah. So diet culture gives us permission to point the blame elsewhere. So for society to focus on weight rather than health, for the media to keep pushing the same Eurocentric standards of beauty as they all as they always have. Yeah, and for the government to focus on the failings of the individual rather than focusing on larger structural issues that could have a global impact, and for capitalism to focus on a new product to sell you happiness, all while making some rich dude richer. What if we flipped the whole script? Like, what if we talked about sleep or mental health the way we talked about weight? What if we shift the focus on positive movement for joint health rather than for getting like summer abs. There are so many ways to be healthy. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways. This is a long episode. We got lots of good stuff in here. We hope you've taken a lot of stuff away from it. But what, mm -hmm. what are your kind of final wrap up thoughts for us, Kim? Uh, for me, it just the harmful thing about diet culture is the idea that you always need to strive to make yourself better. The you you are today or yesterday wasn't good enough. And if you never reached your goal weight, you couldn't do it because you weren't good enough, Ugh. right? Like that's like the idea of diet right. culture. And I just feel like life is too short to spend it hating yourself or to never do things because like your body doesn't look the way that you think it should or that society thinks that it should. Like I'm definitely not saying that it's easy to just jump off like the diet culture Ferris wheel. Like you have to be aware that you're on it. And I think that people don't know that they're on it. Like, yeah. Loving yourself in this world is really, really hard and it shouldn't be. Like, it should not be this hard. Like, when I see younger women with, like, bellies, wearing crop tops and mini skirts, I'm always like, fuck yeah, you get to decide what you're going to wear. And I'm so glad that, like, you're able to do it. But, like, in the back of my mind, like, I'm like, it can't be me. I can never wear a crop mm. top. But I'm so glad that you're doing it. And, like, I, that's – it's a whole thing you have to, like, process. Like, I'm glad that diet culture has, like, a bit of a looser grip on, like, younger generations. There are things that I look at and I say, oh, that's not for someone my size. And, like I said, it takes a lot to unlearn that, but it's, like, a process, you know? Everything's a process. It's really funny that you mentioned that about, like, the clothing and, and how, like, it looks great on people, but it's not for you. I feel that way particularly about bathing suits. Like, I mm. wear probably <laughs> – one of the most conservative bathing suits like i insist on having shorts and those shorts have to come down like they're they're bathing suit like they're tight fitted bathing suit shorts but they come down uh -huh. to my thighs i got them from like a special 
they're ironically enough they're the most revealing bottoms for a bathing suit on this mm-hmm. website that i bought which designs swimwear for people um who want modesty for varying reasons could be religious reasons could be weight reasons mm-hmm. whatever i'm like are we the same person because i always pair my bathing suit with a pair of swim shorts that come to like almost my knee like they cover my yeah. thighs like yeah they c- mine come we're about the, halfway down and mm-hmm. i always i have to have my stomach covered as well yeah. I, d- I just won't. I, so I have like, but I won't like a one piece. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not quite to the like, okay. so it's two pieces, but it's like a tankini top that comes all mm-hmm. the way down. And, and why? Like I look at it. it I mean, it is for me, it's about comfort. Like mm-hmm. the last time I wore a bathing suit, the only people that were around were my sisters. We were, we were doing our sister spring fling weekend. There were the five of us. We were in a hot tub. One of my sisters will just like jump in butt naked. She doesn't care, mm-hmm. right? My other sisters wear one and two pieces, nicely cut here and there, whatever. And not that mine isn't a nicely cut bathing suit, but it's definitely yeah. more modest. And and I don't necessarily know that it comes from like weight per se, but it does come from like how I feel about my body exposed. No, I get yeah. that. I'm the same way with when it comes to bathing suits. Absolutely. But, like, so for me... For the longest time, I didn't think that, like, I was impacted by diet culture because I didn't diet, right? So, oh, that's not my problem. It's not true, right? That I did diet at one point and I learned a lot about myself and why I felt that need to diet, right? Even now, I think I'm still processing some of the traumas that I inherited around diet culture. Like, I think awareness is the key, like you mentioned, and that it Diet culture is part of our world, whether we like it or not, but it's what we do that matters with it the most, no? Mm-hmm. So um, to wrap up, we've got a few resources and references for you. There's one. I like rapidly read this and I loved it. Um, and it is a good jumping point for like if you're looking to get off the diet culture. What did I say? Fear yeah. Merry-go-round? Some, some amusement park off. ride. <laughs> some amusement park. Some terrible amusement park ride. Uh, it's called The Fuck It Diet, Eating Should Be Easy by Caroline Duner. Okay. Uh, the Diet Culture, A Brief History by the Social and Health Research Center in San Antonio, Texas. The Unbearable Weight of Diet Culture by Jessica Teach. The Long Strange History of Dieting Fads by Melissa Dorick, Assistant Professor of Food Science and Human Nutrition at Colorado State University. Does the media's depiction of food feed into diet culture by Sarah Gill? The Evolution of Diet by Ann Gibbons, and that was uh, for National Geographic magazine. Health at Every Size. It's an organization um, which the principles include weight inclusivity, health enhancement, respectful care, eating for well-being, and life-enhancing movement. So their goal is to reframe health outside of being focused on weight. They have a website. It's just like, health at every size you can kind of google that into anything like if you put it on instagram you'll find people who preach this and if you're looking to like see other things on your feed this is a really good way to do that okay let us know what you thought of this episode do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out or do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future or topics that we should cover in the future follow the podcast on twitter at big rep pod and instagram and tiktok at big reputations pod Send us a message or email us at bigreputationspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, no matter their body type. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. And check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. 
And remember, we have a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod. Or just check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you will get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you will have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women and topics throughout history. Next up, Jessamine Stanley. All right. So you got a quote for us this week, Kim? This one is... A diet is a cure that doesn't work for a disease that doesn't exist. Ooh. And that was said by Sarah Fishman and Judy Free Spirit of the Fat Underground. I love that. And as always, believe women. She won the Shorty Award for Best Healthy Life in 2016. And she's listed as one of Fast Company's most creative people in business in 2017. I mean, that OnlyFans idea is pretty creative. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That I feel like OnlyFans probably came later, but the fact that she had built all of this stuff leading up to that mm-hmm. gave her that that opportunity, that that spot to step into, right? Absolutely.